Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, or whatever day it is. Welcome to episode 66 of EPPS 2021. I'm your host, Paramike, that gothic woman right there. She is the lovely and the only one. I'm Paramore. That's right. Uh, I'm still trying to get used to getting YouTube Studio to actually link with StreamYard to where it stalls off perfectly. And still, I have a goddamn delay, which sucks. But anyways, it is November 12th, 2022. It is a crappy day outside, just like it was yesterday where I could not focus. Paralore couldn't focus. And it was ridiculous. So today, crappy day as usual. And trying to do some work on my other computer and the hard drive I had it decided to go pissed me off. So I had to replace it with another hard drive, which is working perfectly right now, which is great and everything. So, uh, yeah, it's garbage. But what can I do? I've been trying to keep it trying to relevate but unfortunately it doesn't want to work right so i hope you guys enjoy it the way it comes out due to the fact there's a delay before it can catch up um last episode we talked about we were talking about black adam yep and i had two different stories on black adam which i didn't get a chance to put in episode 65 so i will put it in in today due to the fact that um the movie ended up getting major backlashes you got a facebook user good hello facebook user whoever you are welcome to the show um anyways black adam got so much backlash it was unbelievable and we talked about it in the last episode but i didn't get a chance to read these two articles of black adam and everything and it was like holy shit it's ridiculous so hmm. um i wonder if the facebook user is from our private page if you are, please let me know, and I will try to fix that once again to find out who's on. But anyways, um, yeah. Black Adam got a massive backlash like crazy, which was ridiculous. Well, we did. person just logged off. Yeah, it's okay. And I just asked, what's his name? Eh, it's okay. I'll find out probably later on. But yeah. Um, so, if I may, read that. Read this one article here first about Black Adam. Do you want to save that for when I finish? Because um, I didn't finish the um, the um, haunted restaurants. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I forgot we did that in episode 66. It's okay. Sorry. Uh, it's just because 
you know, like I said in the last episode, I didn't get the chance to throw in these two articles of Black Adam when we were talking about it and how you uh, were explaining about the whole thing and then the backlashes that I mentioned. You can still do that. Let me. But get that's okay. Me. Not a problem. Um, people are wondering how I'm doing. I'm actually doing okay. I'm in a meh kind of mood. <laughs> well, yeah, it's yes. It's that time of year. Uh, Paramike already knows this. It's that time of year where I start to withdraw. Yeah. Yeah. And my brother, he probably doesn't really know about it, but he'll probably see it. <laughs> or watch this video either way. <laughs> that or you let him know what's going on, but you do. Sometimes I do when you tell me. Other than that, if you say don't tell him, I don't. But somehow he ends up finding out. Not for me, though. He's that good, though. <laughs> He's that good. Yeah, sometimes I wonder. But anyways. Um, where we left off at was the cruise room in Colorado. Located inside the iconic Oxford Hotel, the cruise room is a slice of classic cocktail culture in downtown Denver. It was founded after the repeal of Prohibition in 1933, making it Denver's longest-running bar. It's well known for its expert preparation of martinis and Manhattans. But the cruise room's ghost, a mysterious postal worker. Oh, wait, I haven't done one, didn't I? Yeah, I did. Yeah, you did that in 66. Next. Um, oh, 65, sorry. I did the Morels, Morels in Louisiana. Did the horse you came in on in Maryland. Yep. Okay. Billy's Bar and Grill. Did Washington. that one. Did that one? Yes. I think it was the next story. Finn's Tavern. Yes, that one. In Tennessee, Finn's Tavern is a recent addition to the Knoxville dining scene, but the Baker P Peters House, try saying that three times. No, thank you. The two-story antebellum home it occupies Dates to 1830. And it seems that some ancient spirits still call it home, too. Two days before the restaurant opened in 2018, owner John Ferry was locking up and headed down the stairs by the kitchen door. Suddenly, he felt a cold sp spiral of air surround his body. Move up to his head and back down to his waist before it's evaporating. Now that's creepy. Mm. That's like a paranormal story waiting to be talked about. Possible draft? Maybe. But it sounds Other like a good paranormal story. True. Other spooky shenanigans include lights flickering. Music changing myster mysteriously and glassware and kegs moving on their own. 
Even so, the restaurant maintains a cozy vibe with the roaring fireplace and low lighting. From the Irish Leaning Comfort Food Menu. Don't miss signature li signatures like fish and chips, corned beef and cabbage. Blech. The chicken tapere, an almond and apple spice, apple stuffed chicken breast paired with mashed potatoes and glazed carrots. Hmm. Double Eagle Restaurant, New Mexico. <laughs> Ghost Adventures. Yep. Though it's located in the small town of Mozilla, Double Eagle boasts a classic upscale steakhouse vibe completed with a carrette, crystal chandeliers, and a pressed tin ceiling layered with gold. Yep, that is true. It has earned graves of diners near and far. The staff are as likely to hear about the signature ribeye in Chile. Rolano, I think that's how you say it, as they are paranormal activity. The crew from the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures. <laughs> da -da 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 -da. I just said that. Even dubbed Double Eagle, the most haunted building in Mesilla. The restaurant has once was once a house that dates to 1849. The first owners were a wealthy family who employed servants. The story goes that one of the sons, Armando, fell in love with one of the students, Inez. Wait, I thought she was a maid. Servant is a maid. When his, when his mother found them together in his bedroom, she attacked Inez with sewing shears and killed both of them in a bloody skirmish. Star-crossed lovers. You really have to put that in there? <laughs> I guess so. Romeo and Juliet vibes, anybody? Our set to still haunt the place, making the lights flicker on and off, and even wearing out the, wearing out the upholstery on a pair of overstuffed chairs. Quill like your nerves with the with the Turk uh Turk Turquez Turquez Turquoise, sorry, Margarita, which gets its hue from Luke Careco and is garnished with a keepsake turquoise stone. Ah, uh, that Facebook user was Aaron. Ah. That's who that was. In our private disappear. In our private group. Ah. So she didn't have to disappear. Okay, so at least I know where that is, so I can try to fix that later. For the private group to actually show up the name. Brantwood Restaurant and Wine Bistro in South Carolina. The Brentwood, located in Little River, a sleepy fishing town in the whole country, is known for Chef Eric Masson's top-notch takes on local seafood. 
Twit Shrimp and Scallop Chardonnay teams up Dayboat U10 Scallops and Shrimp with Angel Hair Pasta in a Creamy Leek Fondue. Okay, that's a nasty right there. And Chardonnay Wine Sauce. Okay, the Chardonnay Wine Sauce, okay, but the Leek Fondue. Yeah, that's where you <laughs> got me to almost throw up over here. <laughs> Most most of the ingredients were selling so good until you said the fondue. Ew. The intimate space is subtle lighting set a romantic mood, but you may be joined by some uninvited guests. The most famous is the spirit known as the shadow figure, who typically haunts the stairwell and the second floor's front dining room, and has been cited by owner Kim Masson. Then there's a Civil War soldier who parades in front of the window in the back room. It's believed that he came to the restaurant with wood that was used from the flooring here, which originally came from a cotton mill in Georgia that was used as an armory during the Civil War. Yeah, I would say the wood would be an attachment. Mm. Volunteer earnings, if you lose them, they could have been taken taken by a small boy with a pendant with a pension for shiny objects, though he's been known to return them when offered a different pair of leftover on the bar in the bistro. Decker Hotel in Iowa. Commissioned in 1875 by James Decker. The Hotel Decker is a historic property. Oh, God, I'm butchering this one. Makoketa, a town known for its wood based industry. In fact, Makoketan artisans crafted much of the hotel's woodwork and original furniture, including the lobby's walnut staircase. Though Decker had grand visions for the property at its core, he wanted the hotel to endure as a local landmark and gathering place. It has lived up to that intention, having been added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1978. And over the years, hosting salesmen, fur traders, and politicians. Famous guests to grace the property include modern musicians like Nora Jones and well-known names from the past such as U Ulysses S. Grant and John Ulysses. Huh? Ulysses. Ulysses, sorry. But some no-name spirits are rumored to haunt the place. Though staffing guests have heard or seen unexplained sounds and sights, an investigation by a group from the paranormal of Wisconsin came up inconclusive as reported by DeWitt Observer. One thing's for sure, the hotel's restaurant and Trevin's pub still embody the Midwestern charm and hospitality that have helped the Decker Hotel retain its popularity. For a taste of the region, opt for the pork tenderloin sandwich. 
<laughs> Bravos in Idaho. Bravos, a restaurant and historic building in the heart of downtown Lewiston, is known for its pub grub and creative riffs on Moscow mules. But spirits of another realm are known to frequent the bar here. Maybe it could be explained by the series of underground tunnels connecting downtown Zoltis buildings. But staff and patrons have reported cold spots and hearing disembodied voices. The most recent recent tale comes from the general manager, Chris Maxey, who, along with a few late-night patrons, heard glasses shattering and someone yelling, Get out! But when they went to investigate, there was no one in the bathroom, kitchen, or dining room. And no broken glass to be found. Even with these creepy stories, Brava's remains a homey spot to sup up on scratch-made seasonal fare and craft cocktails, both of which showcase fresh herbs grown at the restaurant. Ambrosia in Texas. When brothers Peter and T and Tran found found the location for Ambrosia, their Southeast Asian-inspired Houston restaurant, they knew there was something special about the building's ambience. The mood lends itself to the sultry design, outfitted with iron lanterns, a backlit fountain anchored by a roaring lion and lush tropical plants. It also sets the scene for a vibe of another kind, a spooky one. Staff often report feeling like they're being watched. And when alone, they hear things moving around and see kitchen utensils moving out the corner of their eye. Some even, some have even heard their names being called out despite being alone. There's even a video of the frozen margarita machine's toggle switch flipping on by itself. Maybe the whoever wants a drink. <laughs> it's more ambience than the trans bargain for, but you could scan score a bargain of your own during Ambrosia's happy daily happy hour specials from the food menu. Don't miss the Tom Yum Shishoto. peppers with hot and sour sauce or the tamarind salmon with pod thai glaze and cucumber ribbons. Hmm. Kendall's in Oklahoma. Kendall's located in a century-old building in downtown Noble. Excuse the kind of charm that can only be found in family-run small-town eateries. Owner Kim Locke, who took over the restaurant her mother found in, 18, in 1986 and named for her first grandchild. 
continues to the tradition for serving homemade food. Tried the signature oversized chicken fried steak. And welcoming diners of all generations. She also embraces the spirits that gather here, including the ghost of a young boy who has been known to play with the toys in the kids' room. There's also a hall table that is often requested because of the frequency of paranormal activity. And another ghost is, found, is fond of female staff and has been known to tug on their hair. The restaurant also serves as a living, living piece of history, with its location just three miles south of Norman and the University of Oklahoma. It serves as a facto, facto pop culture museum, housing more than 500 pieces of Sooner State memorabilia. And in November, 2018, it opened a gallery paying homage to the women of Oklahoma music in conjunction with the Oklahoma Historical Society and the Oklahoma Music Hall of Fame. Oh boy. La Gulandria, California. Not that good food. Been to California once. Not that great. <laughs> no wonder. And I'm not a big person on Mexican food simply because I can't eat it. <laughs> I am. But yeah, I, I went to California and certain places, not that good. Um, there is a nice restaurant down in the San Francisco Bay Area mm -hmm. that has a um, trolley car like built into the damn restaurant. Yeah. And they do have wonderful food, foods. I just wish I could remember the damn place. And there's another one in San Jose, California, where my uncle used to live. And there's a place called the Red Lion. Mm. Not to be confused with the Red Lion Inn, but it was just called Red Lion. And they had the most hugest freaking steak that you could imagine. I ordered it and I ate the whole damn thing right down to the T-bone. Mm -hmm. And it was good. With its brick and wood interiors and dreamy paintings from local artist Izu Andrade, La Golanrinda, I think I said that right, excuse a homey warmth, Consulo Castello di Bonzo, founded the restaurant in 1924 making it one of Los Angeles' oldest Mexican restaurants. And it's said that Lan Consula's spirit remains. One night, staff who had stayed late to do some painting saw the heavy bathroom door open for them. 
Another time, staff had their equipment moved from one end to the kitchen to the other during city-sponsored work. The La Consula's presence isn't a sure bet. The signature Mole Pablo Pablano Mano is sweet spicy sauce is made from the complex blend of 40 different ingredients, including ripe plantains, raisins, raw nuts, chilies, and Mexican chocolate. For a refreshing tipple that wouldn't leave you weak need, try the La Cabana, in which Pacifico beer and freshly squeezed lime juice is served on ice in a salt rim glass. Uh. Blackwoods Bar and Grill in Minnesota has three locations in the North Star State, but its two harbors located tends to feel a little more spirited. Prior to the restaurant's opening in 1994, the building housed an orphanage. Supposedly, a young orphan named Sarah fell down the stairs there. Local lore has it that her restless spirit is the cause for some of the restaurant's haunted happenings. Diners and staff alike have reported seeing a woman in a white gown who suddenly appears and then vanishes just as quickly. Hearing phantom footsteps and disembodied voices and having a cold chill as if someone is breathing down the back of their neck. Just about everyone on staff, many of whom have worked there for over 15 years, has their own Sarah story. Fun favorites include late night shenanigans, when Philbert nuts, when flying off the bar top, and, and one longtime chef reported seeing a salt shaver being repeatedly knocked off the ledge during a solo cleaning session. When it's not charged with paranormal activity, Blackwoods excludes a classic steakhouse vibe with oversized booths, low lighting, and Frank Sinatra on the speakers. Feast on signature dishes like bulldog bites, seared beef cubes tailor-made for dunking into the occupying horseradish sauce, or for a taste of the region, opt for the Minnesota wild rice patty, smothered with gouda, and sandwiched between slices of cranberry wild rice bread. Ew. Bernerhof Inn in New Hampshire. Paramike just looked at me like, what? <laughs> I heard of it, but I don't think I've ever been to it. In the town of Glen, in the heart of New, if, of New Hampshire's White Mountains, lies the Bernerhof Inn, 
The charming three-story Victorian Inn was a stopover point for horse-drawn carriages en route to Crawford Notch in the late 1800s and early 1900s. In 1955, Claire and Charles Zumstein, Zumstein, who were part of the Swiss musical troupe, took over the inn. The dining room's menu melded American... American and Swiss cuisine. And Claire and Charlie were known to play accordion in Alpine horn tableside. That would drive me nuts. Making it a popular date night spot. Not for me. Claire passed away in the dining room, now the, now the inn's room too. It is said that a spirit haunts the inn. She's been spotted straightening curtains and folding laundry. And though owner Nick Pano says he hasn't seen her, he has felt her presence. To pay homage to the Zoomsteins, Swiss signatures such as Wiener Schnitzel and Fondue will soon make a comeback to the menu. In the meantime, you count on hearty breakfast signatures such as Eggs Benedict over Asparagus. The no. P.I. Bar and Grill at the Partridge Inn in Georgia. Many cocktails have a story behind them. But few can rival, rival the chilling tale behind Emily. A gin number served at P.I. Bar and Grill at the Partridge Inn in Augusta. Augusta, sorry. The hotel has been part of the town's history for more than a century. And one of its most fa famous guests, Emily, has been around just as long. Legend has it that on her wedding day, Emily was getting dressed in the bridal suite at the Partridge Inn, when she received news that her fiancé had been shot in a chase of mis mistaken identity while riding his horse through town. Emily was so grief-stricken that she refused to take her wedding dress off for weeks. And though she was persuaded by other suitors, she never wed. Some say she eventually died of a broken heart. To this day, hotel guests and employees have reported seeing a beautiful girl with long, dark hair wandering the halls and staircases. And she often spot is often spotted in the PR bar and grill in her wedding dress awaiting her groom's arrival. Toast Emily with her namesake cocktail which gets a signature purple hue from a mix of butterfly pea flower tea and blueberry and lavender simple syrup. Gaines Ridge Diner Club in Alabama. When Caden native Zach Kennedy and his father took over Gaines Ridge Diner Dinner Club from his grandmother, they knew they were what they were in for. The stately southern mansion was built 
by a Methodist preacher in the 1830s. Local lore has it that he still resides in the house. Diners have even been known to smell the to smell the preacher's cigar smoke. There's firm no smoking policy in the building. From time to time, diners also hear a baby crying. It said that one cold night back when the house was still a residence, a mother I'm not reading that. Despite these eerie occurrences, the stately Gaines Ridge is a, is a local favorite for weekend dinners, special occasion lunches, and large format celebrations like weddings. It's a beautiful setting with delicious food. Anything from shrimp is a sure bet. Anything with shrimp is a sure, is a sure bet, be it fried, grilled, boiled, or in a biscuit or besque. But be sure to save room for the signature black bottom pie with chocolate pudding and a gingerbread ginger snap crust. Metlin Hotel Bar and Cafe in Montana. <coughs> Joseph C. Metlin, a local businessman, built Hotel Metlin in 1897. Since then, it's been a southwestern Montana landmark. The three-story hotel still boasts many of the period furnishings and original woodwork, and it's home to 42 guest rooms, a restaurant, and two bars. The back bar, which weighs nearly one and a half tons and is made completely out of oak, with a 22-foot Mahogany Bar Top comes from the nearby ghost town of Benack. It's no wonder that it is the area most guests frequent, whether or not they are there in the realm of the living. Ghost sightings include a man donning a cowboy hat and a woman in a bonnet behind the bar, and a lady in a white dress floating around the bar and on the dance floor. I do believe we saw that on Ghost Adventures. I a while back. Remember. Hotel Medlin. I don't remember. I do because there was like uh, a young kid that was staying there that was also maintenance uh, and he was also DJing at the time. Just said that he had a a, um, a dark cloud over him. Oh. And he like lost time until he came back to reality and there was like nobody there. Mm. And the original owner passed away in there and she's still being seen through the entire hotel medley. Oh. I do remember that. And the daughter of the woman that passed away in hotel Medlin, um, asked for a sign one night and the glass that was on the table flew off and she caught it in her hand. Oh. That was an interesting uh, show. Oyster Bar Restaurant, South Dakota. 
Back in the late 1800s, Oyster Bar was a Victorian brothel, bar and gambling hall in Deadwood, known for its singing, singing servers and oysters. The oysters, which were packed in sawdust and ice to keep them fresh, were shipped from Louisiana up the Mississippi River to Oyster Bar in Deadwood. Coast Adventures was there too. Not at the restaurant, but at Deadwood. Today, Oyster Bar carries on the fresh oyster tradition. Don't mess with locally famous famous beer oyster shooters. Though, in place of singing waitstaff, the place transforms into a karaoke bar on weekends. Oyster, bar, oyster Bay has also earned a reputation for its ghost tours, particularly since the building, the Fairmont Hotel, has been investigated on shows such as Ghost Adventures and The Dead Files. <laughs> da -da 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 -da. There were pur pur purportedly several murders within the walls, and creepy carry-ons include sightings of strange apparitions and objects moving on their own, particularly on the third floor. White Horse Tavern in Rhode Island. Never been there nor heard of it. White Horse Tavern is a quaint essential example of, of colonial Newport architecture with its clapboard walls. What the fuck is a clapboard wall? Um, it's one of those uh, wood pieces that you can like, put over like the wall we have here. Mm -hmm. You just put it up and you tap the white nail into it and just keep going along. It's like a wood wall. Oh. It's called a clap wall. Double sloped roofs and cavernous fireplaces. Since 1673, the Whitehurst Tavern has operated as a restaurant, making it America's oldest restaurant and earning it a National Historic Landmark designation, in which the lengthy history, it's no wonder that the tavern is rumored to be haunted. Newport Buzz reports that one of the most frequently seen ghosts is an older gentleman who died while renting a room upstairs. Another, a small girl who cries, who's, cries when can be heard near the restrooms on the second floor. Village Shield. Warm up with a bowl of the signature Rhode Island clam chowder in which a clear broth chowder is brimming with Chopped clams and fresh thyme. I have to say between the New England clam chowder that Boston does and Rhode Island's clam chowder, Rhode Island's is the best. Helen's in Virginia. Helen's has been a Richmond institution for decades. Known for its refined yet contemporary takes on American cuisine, such as 
Chef Clay Hostelers duck breast with sumac roasted carrots. But sometimes the food is upstaged by Helen herself, the former owner of restaurant's namesake, who purportedly haunts the building. Employees feel her presence most frequently in the dining room's booths or in the dish room. Reports including seeing items in front of them disappear and reappear elsewhere, hearing whispers or knocks when no one else is around, faces in the dish room's double doors and cold spots throughout. Many report hearing swing music, a nod to when Helen's was a well regarded juke and jo swing joint, or seeing apparitions in the late hours of the evening. Some skeptics on staff were recently converted to believers after a conversation about haunting provoked an extremely loud crashing sound when they went to investigate, nothing was found. I, love it. I, I like hearing when skeptics become believers after they try to make fun of it. Oh, hell yes. It's a precious moment. <laughs> it's a precious and priceless moment. The Empty Glass in West Virginia. Dozens of famous musicians have graced the stage at the Empty Glass, a dive bar in Charleston. Named after a Pete Townsend album. The walls are covered with pictures and stickers from bands that have played there since the place opened in 1985. And it's easy to see why it's been included in some tomes as the Rock Atlantis, Atlas, sorry. And 1,000 places to see before you die. The pub grub menu has its own hits, including personal pepperoni and cheese pizzas sliced with a spicy mar marinara sauce, as well as baked chicken wings, which are dressed in house hot sauces, ranging from mild to flaming zombie hot. Holy shit. That would be ghost pepper hot. <laughs> You should have an annual Halloween, uh, what is it, challenge for that. The bar has been investigated by several paranormal groups who have captured EVPs. Employees have reported hearing unexplained strange noises after hours. Chairs moving across the floor on their own. And items from the bar going miss missing and then mysteriously reappearing. Hold on to your beer. Sounds like here. <laughs> AV restaurant in Pennsylvania. Where? If you're curious what the AV stands for in AV restaurant in Scranton. Okay. Know that it's short for Ultra Volta. Okay. Which translates to another time in Italian. <laughs> okay, then. That's it's, a weird way of putting it. It's apt for a few reasons. 
It was originally chosen to reference the next generation of the Gallardi family who started the restaurant on their of their own after growing up in their parents' restaurant in, in parents' restaurant the Alora Room. When Patrick Quinn, who had been on kitchen staff for nearly a decade, took over and moved the restaurant to its current location on historic Penn Avenue in downtown Scranton in 2017. It became an an especially fitted moniker in 1910, the the building housed the Wholesale Dry Goods Company, and because its proximity to area hospitals was also used as a temporary morgue (laughs) during the 1918 influenza pandemic, in other words, the Spanish flu. Details of the late 18th century architecture remain. The original brickwork and lofty tint ceilings, but with such a diverse group of, of previous tenants. It's no wonder there are some ghoulish goings on. Staff have felt hands on shoulders despite no one being behind them. Seeing glasses randomly breaking and hear ta- her tables moving on the second floor, despite no one being there. Thankfully, there's nothing scary about AV's freshly made and timeless pastas, including papardelle with wild mushrooms or ricotta cavatelli with slow simmering ragu. So this owner's got everything in one shot. Uh-huh. You can go there and eat. You can bring awesome food to the local hospitals in the area. Yep. And you have paranormal stuff. All in one shot. Oh, yeah. That's a hell of a business. Congratulations, my man. The Stockyards Restaurant in 1889 Saloon. Arizona's original steakhouse in Arizona. Was originally built as Stockyards Cafe in 1947 to feed the cowboys working Phoenix's actual stockyards. After a major fire destroyed most of the original building in 1953, the restaurant was rebuilt in 1954 as a steakhouse called Stockyards Restaurant and Bar 1889. Complete with oversized cushy booths, a hand-carved mahogany bar, and cattle brand chandeliers, the classic steakhouse spirit remains, as do actual spirits. In the salon, many bar patrons have seen apparition of the lady in the red dress, who is also depicted as one of the wall murals behind the bar. And one cleaning cleaning crew vowed never to come back after they saw a ghost crouching in the corner. Was For a slice of history without the spooks, ask for booth 26 in the Gold Coast Room. 
beloved beloved by John Wayne and Barry Goldwater who were regulars feast on signature dishes like slow roasted prime rib a Paloma ranch calf fries slightly bread breaded and deep fried veal test veal testicles <laughs> anybody want some veal balls you get them lightly breaded and deep fried enjoy the testicles it's nice. a nod to the stockyard circa 1950 when bulls were converted to steers and cowboys traded testicles for whiskey across the bar <laughs> balls for your whiskeys Here's one you might have heard of, Norwich Inn. Mm, that's not in Norwich, Connecticut. No. Slightly heard of it, but I can't remember where it's located. It's in Vermont. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. It's uh, north from uh, Rutland. Hell of a distance, though. For over two centuries, North Norwich Inn has been a dining and lodging destination dating back to its original owner. Colonel, Colonel Jasper Murdoch. Famous people who spent time at the inn include fellow Dartmouth student Theodore Seuss Giesel, a.k.a. Dr. Seuss. Originally from Springfield, Massachusetts. But the one with the most spirited reputation is Ma Walker. Walker owned the inn in the 1920s and purportedly maintained the inn's tavern tradition during the Prohibition by selling bootlegs from the basement. Guess and diners alike have heard or seen Walker coming down the main staircase. And one gentleman sleeping alone felt firm, gentle hands shaking him awake. That's another way of saying, get the, get fuck, the fuck up. up. <laughs> Whether you need to revive your own spirit after a spooky night at the inn or refuel after a day of the Connecticut River, or hiking the Appalachian Trail. Stop by Jasper Murdoch's Alehouse, the inn's on-site brew pub. Try the Kabat cheddar-topped burger, or the whistling pig red ale beer bad fish and chips. And wash it down with crafts suds like the Susie-inspired IPA called Hops on Top. For a more formal dining experience, book a table in the terrace, which boosts the fireplace, plenty of windows, and historic charm in spades. The only beer I will drink is a fucking Guinness. I don't drink any other beer. Paramark knows that. Mm -hmm. You want a Budweiser? What? <laughs> yeah. I will drink Guinness. I will not drink other beer. 
So true, so true. Hilton Hawaiian Village in Hawaii. Hawaii. Hawaii is known for its beautiful beaches, island hospitality, and tropical R&R vibes. Honolulu's Hilton Hawaiian Village has all that it all of that in spades. But you might catch the chills if you spot the lady in a red dress, a spirit who has purportedly been seen in the hotel and along nearby Waikiki Beach. Local lore has it that she's the ghost of someone who died on the property. While other theories suggest that it, it is volcano goddess Madame Pet Pally, as reported by CBS News. Don't know why that's in there. Hmm. Happily, you can still get your fill on the of island hospitality as one of the property's eateries. Try a top-notch steak at Bali Steak and seafood. Each season with the preparatory blend of Kona sea salt, local herbs, and spices. Or toast tonight with a Mai Tai at Tropics Bar and Grill. The Live Oak of How in North Carolina. For fresh southern coastal seafood with a side of spookiness, look no, look no further. The Live Oak on How. It's located in Southport, a historic town in North Carolina's Brunswick Island. Inside the charming turn-of-the-century home complete with original pine floors and antiques such as English pub tables and chairs. It's also home to a few spirits, including a young girl who once lived in the home, as well as wandering spirits passing through town. Chef owner Sean Mundy has experienced his fair share of strange happenings, including witnessing the side door opening and closing on its own, items falling from the cabinet, and a clock springing from the wall. Um, the clock could have just fell off the wall. <laughs> Or is one of those cuckoo clocks with a spring in it? The Live Oak operated as a restaurant for 15 years, showcasing Monday's fine dining flair imbued with a Cajun twist. Think shrimp and scalloped salad or blue crab dip and alligator bites. No, thank you. Sounds like a Florida recipe. These days, Monday is focused on events and catering, but off, often hosts special dinners, including ones that honor the, ho the house paranormal activity. Book a seat for one of the ghost and gourmet dinners, in which includes a person, personal reading with a psychic medium. Oh, God. The Twisted Vine. That is in Connecticut. 
Oh, that's right. If you're wondering why the Twisted Vines wine collection is housed in what appears to be an old bank vault, it's because the, Der the Derby Base building, which dates back to the late 1800s, used to house the Birmingham, Birmingham National Bank. It was converted into a restaurant in the late 1970s. Since the Twisted Vines inception in 2005, Staff and customers alike have witnessed strange happenings, like lights flashing randomly, particularly when a question is asked, and furniture moving on its own. Portions of the Italian-leaning menu are hearty. Think Tuscan salmon and penne alla vodka. So it's doubtful that you'll leave hungry. But if you can't get your fill on spooky shenanigans, dine on a night when the restaurant has live music. Which is when paranormal activity has been known to increase. Or book a spot for Thursday night's Thursday evening's paranormal dinner and ghost tour. Which includes a multi-course dinner a lecture and discussion of the building's history, architecture, and paranormal findings, and, con and concludes with a tour. Diners often return home to find unexpected images and photos of orbs captured on their phone's camera roll. I would say that would be a genius thing that they have done mm -hmm. by taking an old bank with the vault still in it and turning it into a wine holder. Oh, yeah. That's fucking genius. I wish down here would do that. Yeah. It'd be awesome. Slippery Noodle Inn, Indiana. Established in 1850, the Slippery Noodle Inn is Indiana's oldest bar and remains an Indianapolis institution, known for both its live music and history. It was first a traveler's inn called Tremont House. Individual rooms on the second floor were rented to travelers before becoming part of a working brothel. The basement has rooms that were used by the Underground Railroad, and some that contained Prohibition-era stills. With such a storied past, it's no wonder that the noodle has has attracted the attention of psychics and paranormal groups. Many have investigated the bar and identified ghosts, including the madam who ran the upstairs brothel, aka the woman in red, and Sarah, one of the working girls, aka the woman in blue, who was purportedly killed here killed there by one of her clients. 
Another figure who's frequently spotted is an older man named George, who was purportedly the inn's handyman. He spooked the beer delivery driver so badly the driver requested a different route. Wuss. You might be just as likely to see a celebrity there. Peyton Manning, Jimmy Fallon, Robert De Niro have all stopped in. But you can always count on signature dishes such as jumbo tenderloin, a breaded deep fried pork cutlet that's a hoser state specialty. Sauls in North, North Dakota. Before Sauls became 1920s style speakeasy in the heart of downtown Minot. The building housed a menswear store owned by a man named Saul. Former employees have said that he would be thrilled to have a bar in the basement. And local lore has it that he haunts the bar that bears his namesake. Bargoers say his presence is often felt is most often felt near the back, where stools have been known to move spin around on their own. Ask staff about Saul and the history of the building, and it just may cause lights to flicker on and off. Many believe that means Saul is listening or even present in the bar. So Saul's is in the basement of a craft beer bar called the Tap Room, and it bears a speakeasy vibe. The drink focus for now is wine. The best glass to drink, drink it out of. There are hundreds of glasses for staff to choose the pair to say a fruity Vulgan, Blanc, or full body Bardot, including more than 10 Riedel Varitel specific glasses on display. Just don't touch the glass that's left out for Saul every night. When he's in the mood for a drink, some of the bar or wine will be gone the following morning. That's called an offering. The Occidental Hotel in Wyoming. Imagine walking the same floors as Old West characters such as Butch Cassidy, Calamity Jane, and Buffalo Bill. It's easy to do so on a visit to the Occidental Hotel. in Buffalo, where those famous Old West figures, often with the young Teddy Roosevelt, set foot. The hotel salon, or saloon, is just as historic. The back bar is the original, which was transported there by wagon, by wagon more than a century ago. Look closely, and you'll also notice original bullet holes in the walls, which explain why the Occidental Saloon's high-stakes poker games earned it a reputation as a debauched gambling den. 
in 1908, the rough and tumble barroom was transformed into an elegant saloon. With the pressed tin ceiling, period furnishings, and stained glass accents, the timeless elegance vibe persists, but a visit from the Dead Files team provoked several scary spirits. It's no wonder, as the property was once the site of a bloody skirmish scr and brutal murder. One past employee was so frightened she quit her job. Was. Fortify your own spirit with a drink from a saloon or sup on occasional classically poured prepared steaks at the hotel's do fine dining restaurant, The Virginian. Oh boy. This one we have heard of, but we have not been to it. The Mizpah Hotel in Nevada, which opened in 1907. The Tonopah during the Nevada Gold Rush, was one of Silver State's first luxury hotels. It added a casino in the 1940s. Together with its plush setting, the Mizpah Hotel became a gathering place for the mining town's residents, as well as prospecting politicians. Key Pittman, the U.S. state senator from Nevada was a frequent guest. Local lore has it that he died of heart attack on the eve of the 1940 election, and that his body was kept on ice in a mispot bathtub until the election was over, and a successor could be appointed. The story has been contested, but, but the hotel pays homage to him with the Pittman Cafe, where you can feast on burgers such as the Mizpah, topped with pepper jack cheese, smoked bacon, caramelized onions. A another mystery centers on the lady in red, who was stabbed to death in the hotel years later. A mysterious stain surfaced in the hallway where she was found. Ghost Adventures even had their own sh shocking experience at the hotel when they witnessed the defunct elevators, elevator doors spontaneously open and close. Aaron Goodwin. That was the second time they were there that people actually saw. <laughs> the first oh, time they weren't able to film it. I thought they did. No, it wasn't in their documentary. Oh, not in the documentary, but it was later on in the show. Yeah. Because in the documentary, they couldn't get into it. No. It was later on in their seasons when they finally got into it. Um, if I remember correctly, I think Nick said he was trying to get in there before he joined Ghost Adventures, but mm -hmm. never had the chance. And he was parked across the street and he saw a blue light go from one window to another and disappeared. 
I try not to really pay attention to Nick. I didn't really like him. Yeah. I don't know why. I just did not like Nick. Yeah. Zach. But it was. It's kind of weird though that the story said that uh, Senator Pittman was found in a tub of ice and had a heart attack, and yet nobody knew how he passed on. No. Except for being it found. Said that he had a heart attack in the bathtub. Right. But see, on Ghost Adventures, that was never mentioned. The people that were there in the Mizpah Hotel said that Senator Pittman was found in a tub full of ice. Take that guy and everything, but nobody knew how he died in the hotel, but was, was found in a tub of ice. And that the lady in red was found after Senator Pittman was found. If I remember correctly, I think that kind of got it reversed. If I if I remember correctly, I think um, Jeff Belanger um, found where he was found and then put in a tub of ice and Zach kind of misconstrued it. <laughs> okay, that's a possibility. Speak but, easy. But finding Senator Pimenton first and then years later, the lady in red. Yeah. I think that was backwards because they found the lady yeah, in red first. The they found the lady the in red first and then Senator Pittman a few years later. Yeah. And if I remember what the old guy said, is that every time they changed the carpet on that floor, yeah. that red stain will show back up again in the same exact spot, and they had no answers. No, they didn't. Which is still leading you know, to more questions than there are answers. If you keep changing the carpet every single time, which is, you know... A waste of a whole lot of money for it, but yet it keeps appearing in the same exact spot. Mm. How come nobody's taking their time to try to figure that out? I don't know. I mean, if somebody was smart enough to actually go in there and had permission from the owners to like cut that area of rug out only and just put another piece in its place that's nice and clean, but the same color as the main carpet. Leave overnight, but keep a camera on it to see if it reappears on that new cutout piece of carpet. Mm. And then try to figure out, okay, why is this happening? How is this happening? That that I would love to see. Hmm. Seriously, I would love to see that. Or if not, cut it out. Just get the same exact carpet material, put it over the blood stain spot, put a camera on it, and see if that piece ends up like the one that's underneath the carpet. Mm-hmm. And then see if you can explain that one. That yeah. I would love to see as well. Speakeasy, Nebraska. Lately, Faceless Fred, Speakeasy's resident ghost, has taken to breaking glass, 
especially the glass shelf holding all the restaurant's glassware, which leads to quite a mess. And one unsuspecting bargoer had the top of his martini glass fly off and shatter. Another owner, Ryan Pulse, father, bought the restaurant in 1980. There had been a series of other businesses in Sacramento during the 1880s, including the General and Seed Store, bar and restaurant owned by a man named Fred. Rumor has it that Fred had a reputation as a pedophile, as a philanderer. His wife found out about his antics, offed him, and dumped his body either out front or in the well outside the shop. Philanderer means he was sleeping around. Besides the colorful stories of his resident spirit, Speakeasy is known for its spirited cocktails. Try the best-selling barrel-aged Manhattan. Off from the steakhouse leaning menu, start with the house-cured bacon before moving on to the signature Sacramento strip steak, where a grilled New York strip is occupied by a mushroom cream sauce spiked with brandy and mustard and topped with Danish blue cheese. Jameson Tavern in May. As one of the oldest operating taverns in Maine, Freeport's Jameson Tavern is steeped in mystery in history. It's even known as the birthplace of Maine. As commemorated by a plague that was donated by a plaque that was donated by the Daughters of the American Revolution. The building was first the family home of Dr. John Angler Hyde before Captain Samuel Jameson and his wife took it over in 1801. For the next two decades, it was a well-known meeting place for prominent businessmen, illuminaries such as the poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Its tap room also earned a reputation for its convivial atmosphere and fine spirits. These days, spirits aren't only the the quaffable variety. There have been sightings of of a tall gentleman in a top hat the trail of a young girl's dress disappearing around the dining room corners and objects falling off the corner off the counter you never know when you might encounter something off kilter but you can always count on a taste of super fresh maine seafood there's the daily lobster roll and clam chowder special a lobster stew which bobby flay has called one of the best he's ever tasted, as well as the lobster, the lobster stubbed down east fondue, crabby sticks. 
in Delaware. Why would you call a restaurant Krabby Dicks? Why? That sounds like a turnoff than an inv invitation to come eat. Back in the day, the Delaware City Hotel was a weekend destination for off-duty Union soldiers on leave from Fort Delaware, a Civil War prison on nearby Peach, nearby Pea Patch Island. These days, locals and tourists alike flock to the hotel to dine at Krabby's Dicks. A mid-Atlantic seafood restaurant that specializes in dishes like jumbo lump crab cakes and fried crabs. It's fitting that the crab cakes get top billing, given that the restaurant's original location is the, Fe the Fells Point in Delaware, Maryland. But in Delaware City, they share the spotlight with a few resident ghosts. Hotel guests have, have her children running down the hallways at night and seeing brooms stand up on their own, but then suddenly drop. And diners have spotted a mysterious woman in white. Feeling spooked? If weather allows, get some fresh air on the outdoor deck overlooking the Delaware River. Then chase your nerves away for the Krabby Mary, a Bloody Mary topped with jumbled lump crab. What a name. What a name. Krabby Dick. Scarlett O'Hara's. Isn't that an actress? Yeah. Well, it's also get... a restaurant. Hmm. In Florida. Ah. Gotta be somewhere down like Miami or something. No. Tampa? Nope. St. Augustine. Ah, I was going to make my third guest. Scarlett O'Hara's is a beloved, a St. Augustine restaurant known for its live music and a menu of smoked meats and fresh Florida catch. It was named for the leading lady of Gone with the Wind. But these days, the restaurant's starring role goes to One-Eyed George. Before it was transformed into a restaurant, the building was home to George Cooley, who earned his nickname after losing an eye fighting in, a, in the Seminole Wars. Staff have reported seeing picture frames moving and falling and feeling as if they're being watched while closing at night. Some employees have even quit from the spookiness. Fucking wusses. I've worked at a fucking haunted place before. It didn't bother me. So happened I. For a less chilling vibe, add head upstairs to the ghost bar and settle into the cozy lounge to sip on cocktails such as the Scarlet Oretta or the Southern Gentleman, a play on an Arnold Palmer using sweet tea vodka, lemon juice, and tea. Be sure to have, be sure to save room for the key lime pie. 
a made-to-be-shared behemoth featuring a toasted coconut graham cracker crust, key lime filling, and toasted with meringue topping. Yeah, that no. crust just killed it for me. You can't eat coconut. Shandies in Kentucky. Shandies, a restaurant housed inside the old Cohen building in downtown Paducah, wants guests to abide by their motto, relax, savor, and enjoy. With the eclectic pub menu and warm ambience, it's easy to do until your salt and pepper shakers tip over on their own accord on their own accord and chairs start moving by themselves. <clears throat> the building is purportedly haunted by the spirit of Stella Cohen Payne, who died in the upstairs apartment. Her two Dobermans who guarded the building while she was alive were found guarding her body when she passed away. On opening night, a party-goer swore she saw a Doberman ghost walk through the room. Other mysterious happenings include glasses falling from the bar, flickering lights, and unexplained cold spots in the room. Ease your jitters with Chef Carla Lawrence's creative comfort food signatures, such as her sweet, savory, spicy deviled eggs. What? I love deviled eggs, but not that way. Or the smoked Gouda mac and cheese. No, thank you. But don't sleep on specials like peach barbecue chicken. Or the, the Tijuana spot inspired street tacos. Wash it all down with one of the shanties like the Kentucky Shandy, which teams with Goodwood Brewing Company's Louisville Lager with select stock beer, stock bird dog bourbon. What? Some of these are hard to fucking say. Dublin House in New Jersey. Located in the heart of downtown, Red Bank sits Dublin House, a family-friendly Irish pub in a historic Victorian building, candlelit tables, and a cozy fireplace set a warm, inviting tone, which could be why Dublin House's resident ghost, Mrs. Patterson, likes to come out to play. She is believed to be one of the building's former owners and well, and though friendly, has been known to cause a ruckus by knocking liquor bottles off shelves, unlocking locked doors, and following diners around and whispering names in their ears. Feeling spooked? Order a perfectly poured pint of Guinness. Good beer. Great beer. And the hearty plate of of hearty Irish comfort foods such as bangers and mash or shepherd's pie. 
I don't want to be banger, and I definitely don't want to be mash. Peanut. <laughs> Shepherd's pie, shit on a shingle. The underground saloon and bar in Kansas. The historic Wolf Hotel was founded in 1894 as a bank and hotel with an underground library and speakeasy. In 2013, Allen Wood native Christopher McCord took over and restored it to its full glory. Okay, I just got a whiff of Richie's cologne. <laughs> Hmm. With over a century's worth of history, including a embezzlement scheme that led to a suicide in 1908 and a suicide in the dining room in 1927, it should come as no surprise that some of the building spirits remain. They have also been sightings of a little girl. It's not uncommon for staff to hear random footsteps or see doors opening and closing on their own. Don't miss Sunday brunch when fried chicken and chicken fried steak dinners are served in the dining room by staff dressed up in period attire. You'll also notice a place sitting in honor of the man who committed suicide in the room. After dinner and a slice of homemade pie, you'll get to go on a tour of the underground tunnels where the ghosts are said to spend most of their time. Friday and Saturday nights are your chance to soak, soak up speakeasy vibes. And my phone just decides to go shit again. Yeah. Get me back into the... Yeah, I know. My phone's been doing that lately. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm watching it over here on my tablet, and it showed only one viewer. Yeah, that would be me. And I was like, wait a second. I'm watching the same thing, and it should show two, not one. What is going on with this? Don't miss the signature cocktail. Miss... Sally's Hard Cherry Limeade. The Red Onion Saloon in Alaska. Back in the 1800s, Segway was known as a, a gold rush town with stores, lodging, and saloons everywhere to keep up with the boom of new aspiring miners. The Red Onion Saloon was founded in 1898. It quickly earned a reputation as the finest saloon and dance hall in Segway. Skagway, sorry. The classic saloon vibes remain with soaring ceilings, pendant ceiling, pendant lighting, sorry, and plenty of wooden accents. And waitresses even wear corsets or or period costumes. On uh, the restaurant's second floor is a museum dedicated to the saloon's history as a brothel. 
such as the sordid with such a sordid history it's no wonder there would have there have been unusual happenings bar goers have witnessed items flying off counters as at random seen a woman hanging above the, the dress case and heard disembodied voices some male employees have felt a shove on the stairs besides the spirited company the red onion saloon has earned its status as a favorite local bar for its equally spirited drinks and comfort bar food menu includes fan favorites like nachos and chili And we've heard of this one, Leslie's Family Tree in Utah. Also been on Ghost Adventures. Leslie Broadhead, the owner and matriarch of Leslie's Family Tree, says her Santa Quinn restaurant has been haunted for years. But since the place was investigated and featured on Travel Channel's Ghost, Ghost Adventures, the portals that were opened have caused over 100 spirits to show up at any given time. She says they come to visit loved ones and then go back home. Broadhead herself has seen sev seven different spirits that look like regular people, not a transparent apparition. One time she says she saw a delivery man saw a delivery man, but when she turned on the lights, he disappeared. Besides its haunted nature, Leslie's family tree is known for its oversized scones, which can reach up to 14 inches in length and six inches in width. Those are some big scones. The scones are served with homemade honey butter. Ugh. And a company homestyle dinners like chicken fried steak, a regional specialty. That's it. Get rid of that. <sighs> I am going to take break because I need to get a refill <laughs> and Paramite can do the Black Adam stories that he's got now that I'm done with the, with the uh, restaurant yeah <laughs> and I'm trying to fix her phone over here as well so I'm kind of like now switching here but uh, yeah uh, Black Adam Paralore did a movie review about it and there's been a lot of backlash on it left and right so it's like hmm i found this one that says black adam is a wooden cgi fest embodying everything wrong with superhero films ouch that's a hell of a backlash right there DC Films' latest release into the endless superhero uh, 
I can't even pronounce this word. P-A-N-T-H-E-O-N. Black Adam has a lot riding on Dwayne Johnson's muscles, shoulders. Despite a few banner films, Hollywood box office sales are still down over 20% from 2019. This is also the studio's first major superhero release since the mega merger of Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah, that's very shocking to say the least. Um, unfortunately, Black Adam is far too slight a movie to support either either Hollywood's or Warner Brothers Pictures hopes. A wooden, emotionless CGI fest, this is a startling doll paint-by-numbers story that embodies everything wrong with superhero films. That, to me, just sounds like a huge kick in the nuts. Yeah, it does. As and, I said, it looked way too fucking cartoonish. If I want to... In other words, it looked too much like a fucking comic book. That sucked. Mm. Here, try that out. Um, yeah, it's, especially when it's Warner Brothers, Discovery. Holy shit. I mean, it's, it's down 20% from 2019. Yeah. The problem begins at conception. The character of Black Adam was conceived as the villain of other long gating DC film Shazam. The 2019 uh, that 2019 surprise box office hit took the superhero origin story of its titular character, a 14-year-old kid who accidentally gets chosen by an agent wizard to fight evil and played it for at last. I mean, Shazam, I've never even heard of this fucking character when I was growing up as a superhero or a villain. I never heard of this. Well, Black Adam? No, Shazam. Shazam? Yeah. Shazam? I've watched cartoons. I've watched, like, Superman. I've watched the Batman cartoons. I've watched the Justice League cartoons. And nowhere in any of them ever had Shazam. I've heard of Shazam. Um, I myself, I've heard of Shazam, but it wasn't that great of a comic book at the time. I've never even seen the comic book. And I had a comic book store right around the corner where I lived. I'd go there almost every week. It's because no one bought it. Because I needed I needed a, a book called a Beckett for like football, basketball, baseball, just to see how much these little cards cost and how much it would be in the future for a price value if I ever wanted to sell it. 
Not once have I ever seen a comic book with Shazam on it. Never. Well, I personally haven't seen any myself. Supposedly, Shazam is part of Marvel. Supposedly, it's not DC. According to this story, it says it's DC. Okay, then if it's DC, then it wasn't really that looked at as... Oh, let's go out and get a Shazam comic. Yeah. Because comic books, they, DC, they, if my memory serves me correct, DC started because of Batman. Mm, not really. More like Superman. Superman's Marvel, dear. The Superman was DC first. DC start, uh, gave up on it because there was no more... Superman uh, scripts to come out or cartoon versions. And then Marvel picked it up and continued with it because they got smarter people. True. Somehow. But, yeah. People wanted to buy, go out and buy Batman. Yeah. Because Batman was the most actually well look, looked after for. Yeah. So, so for some reason, they can keep coming up with different scenarios, different missions, different shit for Batman. But when it came down to Superman, it was like, oh, we fucking suck. We can't come up with anything. Yeah, we're Marvel. We'll take them. There you go. Yeah. But with Shazam, like I said, it wasn't a sought after comic book. Everybody wanted Batman. They wanted Batman comics, so Shazam was kind of put on somewhere in the garbage can. No, on the no one wants list. <laughs> garbage can. Point blank garbage can. Just like the Black Adam. Black Adam, it was a comic book. Yeah. Nobody wanted it. <laughs> well, if you look at it, Black Adam was actually a villain. But he was white. Doesn't matter. Not like what the Rock looks. Not black. I, I've I've seen a black Shazam before, but that was like, what the fuck? Oh no. But you, I like I said, I never seen the comic book in a comic book store whatsoever. And the way I'm thinking it is that, well, okay, if you remember back in cartoon days, yeah, there was. Uh, a male cartoon character and a female cartoon character yeah, called the Wonder Twins. Okay? Mm -hmm. And when they activated the powers, they can become anything they wanted to be. They can come, they can do it like a giant T-Rex, a big-ass Mastodon, a big cannon, whatever. I think that's how Shazam started was from the Wonder Twins. And I'm like, what the hell? They took like the role of the Wonder Twins, put it into a kid to become a full-size person called Shazam. Mm -hmm. That's how I'm, I see the thing. Just like, you know, Black Adam is a fucking rejected version of the Flash. Yeah, no. With the freaking lightning bolt right here. It's like, oh my god. Uh, 
Where was I? Oh, whenever the kid says the magic word, he morphs into a fully grown adult superhero played by Zachary Levy. But inside, he's still an immature kid. No shit. Think big. Quotations. But in spandex with capes. Capes. I think that's a misspelled thing. <laughs> Shazam only has one cape. Gay version of, of uh, Batman and a gay version of Superman. And any other superhero villain that has a cape. Black Adam, one of the regularly scheduled villains in the comic book, was supposed to be his main um, A-N-T-A-G-O-N-I-S-T. Sorry, words are hard. Somewhere in the process, perhaps by Johnson's doing or DC trying for another cinematic universe, Black Adam was removed from the film and given his own origin story film with plans for him to eventually face off with Shazam in a later installment on paper this is not the worst idea yes it is former wwe star dwayne johnson yeah is extraordinarily bankable yeah yes he he's not former wwe yet you morons he's still wrestling He's still an active wrestler on their roster. So you can't call him former. <laughs> Until they decide to kick his ass out and said, don't ever come back. <clears throat> then you can mark him as former. That or he decides to just say he's done. That's who. Uh, he's anchored and opened major hits like Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. And Jungle Cruise, not that good. <laughs> and turned films like Red Notice into major Netflix properties. I don't ever remember hearing about him doing a film called Red Notice. Because we don't have Netflix? <laughs> I haven't even seen news about that on the line before, that he was doing another movie called Red Notice. I don't He even has a hit broadcast show, Young Rock. Yeah. No small feat. With fictionalized or fictionalization of his own life. The only thing missing from his portfolio was a standalone superhero franchise. But Black Adam is not a superhero. He is an anti-hero yeah. at best. And while Black Panther 
did a great job of making its bad guy both a certifiable badass and a nuisance character. Black Adam fails miserably. No shit! Way too cartoony. Way too cartoony. Perhaps it's the script, which is filled with cringeworthy, clinched dialogue. The entire damn dialogue was bad. Yeah. Cringeworthy was the whole fucking movie. <laughs> Especially when Paralord was watching it, and I'm like... I had to watch it. It's part of the road. Yeah, I know. But I'm just as like there. I'm looking at my phone, watching something. I'm like... <sighs> Too much CGI in it. It, the CGI to me was so much that you're looking at a fucking live action comic book play. People want to see a comic to go read it. <laughs> yeah, done by a, by a comic uh, artist from a trash can. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it's the filmmakers who felt the need to spell out every plot development using didactic monologues and action scenes that bordered on poverty porn. Johnson is typically a charismatic present on screen, but here he becomes across like a cardboard cutout, a decorative, charmless knockoff of Terminator in spandex. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. <laughs> Terminator in spandex. Kind of did. Kind of did. When have you ever seen the movie Terminator and the Terminator's wearing fucking spandex? No, I think he's doing the terminology of Terminator, but in spandex. That's a scary scene. <laughs> Especially when you're referencing the word Terminator going towards Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm sorry, but I think that was one of his greatest roles ever. Was playing Terminator. I mean, he was perfect through the whole thing. Yeah. Not one backlash out of the movies he was in of Terminator. Not one. Uh, there was. There was a couple that didn't do that well. The film was doomed. The film was doomed when they announced it before they put it all together. The film was doomed even before the subsident uh, heroes, quotations, show up. Members of the Justice Society, played by um, A. Hodge, Noah C., Quintessa Swindle, and Pierce Bronson. 
gag me with a spoon. These wannabes feel like abandoned drafts from last year's The Suicide Squad. (laughs) Part of James Gunn's reject pile for not being crass or funny enough. Mm. Okay, the names I just mentioned. I don't ever remember seeing James Gunn mentioning these people for the Suicide Squad movie. No. At all. No, what they're saying is it looked like a knockoff of the of it. Basically, rejects that didn't get the cut. Hmm. Due to the fact they had Amanda Waller in it. Well, yeah. So it looked like uh, a mesh of it. Yeah, it looks like a bad version of the Batman game I have with Amanda Waller in it. Hmm. But the movie's worst crime is not just wasting Johnson's and uh, Borzen's talent or its overly long and directionless battles, which seem to exceed purely to show Black Adam winning. And he does win because it's his movie. No, the movie's biggest failure is the way it hands more ammunition to those who complain (coughs) bitterly about the box office being dominated by endless men in tights. Reference to men in tights. The film presupposes its audience attention span cannot handle complexities and thus must have its characters repeatedly spew their emotion emotionals motivations for fear we might have forgotten them instead of giving fans characters to invest in it fills the time with CGI uh, yeah. superpowers that aren't even all that interesting to watch. Nope. The shots are pedestrian, repet- uh, repetitive, and not all at all enhanced by a large screen. The wisecracks feel cribbed from others. Better films. The twists are telegraphed from the first frame. Mm -hmm. Diarrheaville movie. (laughs) The film is also terrified to let's huh that's not how you begin a, th- uh, a new sentence 
The film is also terrified to let its story actually say anything. The fuck was the story? There was none. There was no story. There was no plot. It was just bah! It only commits to things everyone can agree on for fear of accidentally offending someone somewhere. Fuck you! <laughs> Black Adam quotations has an interesting inkling of an idea. No, it doesn't. An opposed culture that needs to overthrow the the invading white men. But it is far too scared to follow through on the premise with any ideological heft. Who the fuck's writing this? Sam Quinnison? <laughs> the designated bad guy is a dude who turns into a demon and raises a skeleton army. Yeah. That was in the film. Sounds like Vlad Depeche on drugs when he couldn't get laid. Everyone can't agree on banding together to fight a dude with demon horns, rendering any actual political differences moot. Mm-hmm. Or in this case, moot. Instead of overthrowing oppressors, the nameless extras are shown rioting against Halloween figures. Even Black Adam himself seemingly has no beliefs other than saving a kid is good. Mm. Makes sounds like um, Rob Zombie could come up with a better movie the same way, but a lot better for Black Adam in his own vision. <laughs> This bland, mindless superhero flick will do little to help an already struggling DC Films division. Controversial decisions and executive turnover have done little to restore confidence in Warner Brothers, with critics worrying that Discovery's David Z who now runs the merged corporations, could be eliminating programs designed to make the company and its offerings more diverse. Just stop making fucking stupid movies using CGI. Nobody uses CGI anymore, you idiots. Warner has already tried to make DC films in imaginations of Disney-backed rival Marvel and its vast cinematic universe crossover. The box office numbers for Justice League, quotations of course, 
Yeah. Speak to just how badly that went. But the mid-credit sequel or sequence in Black Adam unfortunately suggests studio leaders are committed to make the same mistakes all over again. Warner's marketing of the film has positioned Black Adam as a turning point in DC Universe. If this is indeed true, then it's turning in the wrong direction. Yeah. They've always been turning in the wrong direction. She's Louise. So that's that one of a massive backlash. <laughs> Fucking morons is what they are. Um, where's the other one? The Black Adam Review. The Rock fails in Black Adam, possibly the worst movie ever. Well, no shit it was. Uh, ah, look who just came in. Uh, oh. Oh, there she is. Hey, Gloria. It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. Not a problem. Our wonderful and lovely moderator is here. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. I hate those beer runs. uh, Yeah. Um, Back to part two of Black Adam's bashing reviews black adam is something else a pounding and intuitive soundtrack a plane colliding with a helicopter a sparkling of meaningless dialogue and an act of contempt towards its audience i wonder how many people were actually at the movie theater sitting there just watched about five minutes of it and just said, fuck you, I'm going to get my money back. Don't know. It signals the movement where Dwayne The Rock Johnson started taking himself too seriously, or perhaps it was the filmmakers. Anyway, whoever is doing it, you need to stop. Blame the filmmakers. Yeah, don't blame Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Don't Sorry. Don't blame him. You have to blame the fucking directors. You got to blame the filmmakers. You got to blame the writers. You got to blame all the other fucking stupid idiots in DC that doesn't know what the fuck they're doing anymore. And just have them stop making fucking movies that are eh. Yeah. Marvel does a hell of a lot better movies. Yeah, but I'm not a Marvel. Well, 50-50. I give Marvel 50-50 of movies. The Hayward-born Johnson. I didn't know he was born in Hayward. I thought he was born down in Florida. Um, Not Florida. Hawaii. He lived there. Then went to uh, Miami for college. Uh, Yeah, I know that. And football. Uh, the Hayward-born Johnson has always been reliable, reliability fun on screen. That doesn't even make sense. 
Here, his entrance is delayed and his face is denied us as though he were Greta Garbo making a comeback appearance. I have no clue who the hell that is. Me neither. His head is covered in a black hood like the ghost of bad cinema feature or future. How about this? He's just a fucking rejected version of the Grim Reaper with a hood. How's that? Fucking morons. And he just sits there, a lethal shape preparing to let loose. For 5,000 years, he has been entombed and unable to kill. That's a lot of time to be building up hostility. I should say the fucker was incarcerated. Black Adam is not an easy story to follow. No shit. Yeah. Especially as it creates no desire to follow it. No shit. The basic plot. Oh, this story has the basic plot feature. This should be interesting. Seems fairly simple, though convoluted and wally lacking in interest. K is a fictional Middle Eastern country being ruled by a military dictatorship. Under. I can't even say this name. A-D-R-I-A-N-N-A. Sarah Shahai. An archaeologist puts together a team to dig for the crown of Sabak. She believes the crown can confer great power, which she could use to overthrow the regime. Seriously? That's the plot? That was the plot. She finds the crown, but all hell breaks loose, and she does Black Adam Johnson, whom accidentally frees. Government troops arrive to take the crown back, Whereupon, Black Adam starts killing everybody, tossing them, melting them with a touch, etc. Missiles can't stop him. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop the awfulness. (laughs) Seems like fucking Superman and crack. Some other superheroes are called in. And these are strictly second-tier entries. Not a Batman in the, t- in the bunch. There's Hawkman, played by A. Hodge. Cyclone, played by um, Quintessa Swindle. And Dr. Fate, played by Pierce Bronson. Mm-hmm. 
who apparently doesn't think he has enough money. The one preversed almost pleasure of Black Adam is in watching Bronson try to invest emotion in a role that's a sol- that's as solid as wet tissue paper. <laughs> the fucking movie was a wet tissue paper. Pierce Bronson is a wet t- piece of tissue paper. I didn't get white with my ass. <laughs> oh, yes. And there's another superhero, one called Adam Smasher. Mm-hmm. Who's a dunce? Played by Noah C. Whose claim to fame is that he can make himself enormous. <laughs> Penis pump. That's it. He makes himself really big. That's so creative. No, it's not. That's being sarcastic. That's so creative. That's being sarcastic. <laughs> That's like telling the guy that does Adam at he shit. <laughs> when yet he can make himself as small as he wants or as fucking large as he wants. They just telling him, oh, the character that plays Adam at in the Marvel movies is a piece of shit. How did anybody ever come up with that? It's called No Brains and No Brain Cells. But there is a way that they came up with this, and that is a sandbag in their noggin that's supposed to be a brain, and all the little (laughs) sand that keeps falling all the way down, and when you flip the fuckers over and it comes all the way back up, that's called sand for brain cells. (laughs) That's how that works. Can we just say it? Say what? Enter your comments below or in the chat if you're on YouTube. If you're on Facebook, leave them below. When you get past Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, the DC superheroes are a sorry lot. I'm not crazy about Marvel either. But that's besides the point. I'm not a beer drinker, and yet I can still taste the difference between a good plinser on tap and mop water. (laughs) Person with a sandbag for brains and sand for brain cells. DC is mop water. No, DC is not mop water. DC is sewage water. They should quit before they embarrass themselves any further. Too late. Yeah. Black Adam, quotations of course, is 124 minutes long. And a good 90 minutes of it consists of fight scenes. Zero. Yeah. Half of those scenes are Black Adam fighting the other DC superheroes. Is there anything more boring 
than two superheroes fighting each other when you're rooting for neither. And yet the movie expects you to like them both. How would that be a question? I don't know. Of course, they can't hurt each other because, wait for it, Sandbag's got a theory. They're superheroes. There it is. (laughs) And also because it's middle of the movie, as everyone knows, you can't kill off the lead characters in the movie, in the middle of a movie, except when Jeanette Leith is in it. Seriously, don't see Black Adam. Don't encourage this. I don't even want to admit that it's a it's an actual movie, but assuming it is, it's the worst of the year and one of the worst I've ever seen. Yeah, it is. That was in theaters on Friday, October 21st. Good granny gracious. That's what I wanted to put on the last episode when Paralors talked about it. And I was like, holy shit. Oh, I'm glad I, when I was growing up as a kid, I was never a fucking DC fan. Yeah. In comic books, I was always Marvel. Because they came up with the best fucking stories ever. But the only comic books I actually got into with DC was Batman. All well, because of Joker. Well, yeah. I, I I would have to say that's probably the only time I decided to buy a DC comic book was just because of Batman. I wanted to see what type of shit they were going through by creating the, these comics from the TV series 1966 of Batman. Outside that, speaking of Batman, um, the voiced-over character mm-hmm. for the Batman video games that I have for PS3, uh, he's also done it for PS4. I think he's also got it on PS5. Uh, an animated uh, cartoon versions of Batman that you can see on cable yeah. or DirecTV, whatever. Kevin Conroy... Passed away at the age of 66. Yep. God rest his soul. That dude was more better than Michael Keaton's Batman voice. No offense. Yeah. Not to to knock Michael Keaton off of his Batman original movie role for his voice, but Kevin Conroy was more perfect at it. Yeah, Um, voiceover. Well, he was more perfect as a Batman. I mean, he was better than Adam West was in a 66 yeah. TV series. He's a, His voice is better than uh, Michael Keaton's in Batman. A little bit more dramatic, a little bit more ass-kicker, as I would put <laughs> it. And sometimes a little comedian in there, which was kind of funny. Um, and also um, the comedian Gallagher passed away yep. at the age of 76. 
funny comedian. I when I saw Gallagher on regular TV before cable even was even developed. Yeah. I thought that dude was fucking hilarious. Smash a manic. <laughs> Comes out with that big ass mallet and just starts slamming shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he passed away, so that kind of sucked. But yeah. Two great people are gone before their time was supposed to be up. So it's going to be tough for me to play my Batman games now and listen to Kevin Conroy speak as Batman every time that I play the game. It's going to hurt because the guy was awesome. Uh, Gallagher, I really wish that these stores would still sell his DVDs. Yeah. And everything because the guy was fucking hilarious. I don't think he came out with any DVDs. I mean, I remember. Well, I know, him. I know he was. I know it was on a VHS before, and then VHS just like disappeared. Yeah, no. But a lot of old shows or TV, whatever, that were on VHS were being transferred over to DVDs now. I just. Don't think his ever got to DVD. No. I've never seen him on um, a Comedy Central when Comedy Central first came out. Um, what the fuck was that? That was Batty. Oh. If you heard that on the thing, that was her cat Batty. He's having a good dream, I guess, in the old podcast chair. Anyways, you saw Gallagher in Comedy Central. Yeah, when Comedy Central started coming out, um, I think I was about 10. I mean, everybody knows Comedy Central. If, if stand-up comics are shown during the day, they bleep the shit. Yeah. That's the only time I've ever seen him is basically during the day. Um. I forget which episode I was, which special I saw him on, but he was talking about um, about baseball or something with like somebody trying to get all this, all this, like somebody being um, having the job of getting everybody situated from the hotels, the restaurant balls yeah. and all the other things yeah i don't remember the skit exactly but i remember that's the one i saw yeah when, when i saw gallagher for the first time on regular television before cable was even thought of i actually saw him on saturday night night live i don't remember seeing him on there i do i remember seeing that in 87 86, 86 or 87, I, I was watching Saturday Night Live, and he was hilarious. And that's before Saturday Night Live went to just SNL. Now, mm. it was it just sucked. straight Saturday Night <laughs> It was just straight Saturday Night Live. It was um, Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd. Um, Adam Sandler. No, 
Dan Aykroyd. Um, damn, I can't remember the guy's name now. Mike Myers? Nope. Dan Aykroyd. Oh, it was Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, Chris Farley. Yeah. Um, Norman, I think his name is. I don't know. Norm McDonald. Norm McDonald. Um, um, they had Chris Rock on there. No, he wasn't on in 88, 86, 87. He wasn't on there. Oh. Um, Gallagher was the host of the show. Um, I can't remember the other characters back then. Some I can remember. But he was fucking hilarious. I loved him. I and remember with Saturday Night Live. When I was started watching, it was I believe in the early nineties, nineteen ninety, I think. There was Chris Farley, uh, Mike Myers. Of course, they called him Michael Myers. Then they went, "Oh, let's change it to Mike Myers because <laughs> of the freaking horror character." <laughs> um. Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, um, Dana Carvey. That's the only one. Dana Carvey was in 86, 87, I think. There uh, were a few other ones that I couldn't really care for. I liked Adam Sandler, who was actually, which. To me, I thought with Adam Sandler when he first started, to me, it looked like they were like trying to like shadow him because he wasn't in that much until um, trying to think. Until he started doing Tuxedo Man, mm. where he's actually trying to do like he's singing opera. Yeah. And people like, holy shit, this guy is funny. Did one of his uh, Hanukkah songs on on there too? Yep. But I forget which version because he has three. Yeah, and I think I still have those in here too. Not sure. Um, actually, let me see something here. And The Rock was also guest starred on um, Saturday Night Live too. Um, Lucy Lawless, you can get a start on there. There was one thing I was watching on YouTube last night, which actually pissed me off to where I turned it off. Where they actually labeled one hit wonders you didn't know that died, mm. and these are actors, and the person's face that they have on the thing is Kevin Smith that played Aries. Yeah. And I'm like, really? I'm pretty sure by now people know they don't call them one hit wonders. He got to start um, playing Hercules's half brother in uh, the legendary journeys. Mm-hmm. 
Then he got cast as Ares. Then when it did Xena as Ares. He's not that doesn't make somebody a one hit wonder. Yeah. In film or TV. If that's so, why is Lucy Law why is Lucy Lawless so good? That's how she started. Mm-hmm. Of course, she was on was it one of uh, Hercules' old um what can I TV mean? movies, Hercules and Amazon women or something, where Lucy Lawless played one of the Amazons. Mm. And they had her in the Hercules TV show as Xena, where she's this evil bitch. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait a minute. That's how Lucy Lawless got her start yep. in that damn show. Of course, she was in it like three different times. First two times. First time she was a bitch. Second time she was um, going from bad to good. Yeah. Which spawned the Xena TV show, which I was a huge fan of. Mm. Of course, to me, it got kind of confusing when they started putting biblical verses into it. Got me confused. Yeah, literally. Did the same thing with Hercules, too. <laughs> yeah. I'm still trying to I mean, there was one season that I didn't really care too much on Hercules. And that was when they killed off Originally, they killed off Michael Hurst's character, Eolus. Yeah. Eolus was the better one out of the two. Even though he was a bit of a horn dog. <laughs> True. Let me try it this way. Since this is stupid. Um, Alright, here but we go. If... They're labeling Kevin Smith, who did Aries, as a one-hit wonder. What the fuck is Lucy Lawless? Would that made made of her? Would have that made her one-hit wonder? Even though she's still alive, mm. but she's still out there doing her thing. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, see. that shit just pissed me off that last night. I'm like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah, literally. Uh, yeah, where is it? While you're doing that, I'm going to do some of my uh, herbs. Okay, let me get you on. Me off. Until I can figure out what the hell it is. Jamaican ginger. Known for gambling magic. Jasmine uses include snake bite and divination. In other words, it's supposed to be like a supposed to like cure snake bites or something. I don't know if it, that works. Good for charging quartz crystals. Uses satchels and spells to draw spiritual love or attract a soulmate. Don't know how that works. 
Everybody already knows my stance when it comes to spells, when it comes to love. Carry or burn the flowers to draw wealth and money. Use in dream pillows to induce sleep or burn in the bed bedroom to bring prophetic dreams. Helps to promote new innovative ideas. Also called Pakaki, Yasmin, Jessamine, or Moonlight on the Grave. Jezebel Root. Used for spells and casting for money and achievement. Also used to place curses and hexes. Jobs, tears. Luck in finding employment. Wishes and blessing. Used in counts of set of three or seven in charm and mojo bags to attract love, luck, wishes, and money. Carrying three will assist in finding a good job. Probably could. I don't know. Count out seven seeds while concentrating on a wish. Then carry the seeds with you at all times for seven days. The wish should come true by the end of that week. Juniper banishes all things injurious to good health, attracts good, healthy energies and love. Juniper berries can be carried by males to increase potency. Use a string of juniper berries to attract love. Burn for magical protection. Place a sprig of juniper near the door to a home or with valuables to keep to help safeguard against theft. But keeping keep the doors locked too does work. Use juniper oil to in magical workings to increase money and prosperity. Also called juniper berries, jinnipro, enabro, or whack holder. Now juniper, we know, are candles that you can burn. There are juniper incense sticks. I haven't found any, but there are. And our moderator, Gloria, uses juniper candles. Right, Gloria? Avocado uses include aphrodisiac, potent sacramental drink, potions, Induces visions, astral work, travel protection, carry for success, and job promotion. That sounds more like a superstition or folklore. Hmm. But you could probably, I guess, use it. No, the reason why I said hmm is because I'm trying to find when Gallagher was on Saturday Night Live, and all I'm getting is Mary Catherine Gallagher. You're not going to find him. On a vintage of 
Saturday Night Live, which is ridiculous. Because I don't remember her being on the show. Gloria said burning them as we speak. <laughs> you know, you can't show that up there. What? Oh, yeah, I see it. You could do that. I know. I got. I saw it on my phone. Kava Kava is also called Ava, Ava Pepper, or Intoxicating Pepper. Not weed. I need spells, health, and cursing. Pull a nut. Peace. Removing depression and calming. I don't know about the moving depression part. Lady Slipper. Fuse for protection against hexes, curses, and the evil eye. Lady's Mantle. Aphrodisiac transmutation. Use in love potions or to increase the power of any magical workings. Also called Nine Hooks, Dew Cup, Lion's Foot, Bear's Foot, or Stellaria. Larch, Protection Anti-Theft. Larkspur, Love and Protection, I mean Health and Protection. Laurel, Love and Protection, worn by brides to guarantee a long and happy marriage. Lavender, which is something I am allergic to, and I use the alternative. Magical uses include love, Ugh. Protection, healing, sleep, purification, and sp and peace. Promotes healing from depression. Great in sleep pillows and bath spells. Believed to preserve chastity with mixed with rosemary when mixed with rosemary. Burn the flowers to induce sleep and rest. To scatter the ashes around the home to bring peace and harmony. Use in love spells and satchels, especially those that to attract men. Okay. I've already went on a rant of what I think when, when it comes to spells, when it comes to love spells, ingredients for love, or attract love. I'm not saying it again because I've already went over it more than once. Now, lavender being in bath spells, lavender is in soaps, shampoos, some shampoo and conditioners. It's in bath oils. Um, it's in lotion. And I believe there is an incense that you can burn, as well as candles. Gloria, am I right on that? Lavender being also candles and incense sticks. If you don't have the flowers.
lavender is called also called spike, nardus, elf leaf, or nard. Yes, good. Leak, love, protection, exorcism, and strengthening existing love. Now, strengthening existing love, um, that could be something that does work. I haven't used it, but I know a couple people that do use it, use leak. Leak, I know, is also something you could cook with and you can eat it. Lemon, cleansing, spiritual opening, purification, and removal of blockages. Add or lemon peel to love satchels and mixtures. Soap peel in water and use the mixture as a wash for magical objects to remove unwanted negativity, especially for objects received secondhand. Use an infusion of lemon to induce lust. Lemon is also called citronier, nimu, limu, limon, and limon. Lemon, we all know people use it in everyday life. Mainly in food or drinks. Lemon balm. For love, uh, success, healing, and psychic slash spiritual development. Use in love charms and spells to attract a partner. Does not work. Use in healing spells and rituals for those suffering from mental or nervous disorders. I have heard of that, but I don't I do not know if that worked or that or if that works. I don't use lemon balm. You can get lemon balm online. Or look for these names that lemon balm is also called. Melissa. Sweet Bomb, Bomb Mint, Bee Bomb, Blue Bomb, Cure All, Dropsy Plant, Garden Bomb, or Sweet Bomb. That's B-A-L-M. Lemongrass, Psychic Cleansing and Opening, Lust Potions. Lemongrass, that is something you eat. Lemon verbena, worn to increase attractiveness or to bed to prevent dreams. Added to other herbal mixtures and charms to increase their effectiveness. Used to in perfection baths. Carried in a amulet to attract the love opposite sex. Not gonna say it. 
I already said it more than once. Lettuce. Divination. Lunar magic. Sleep. Protection. Love spells. And male sex magic. Lettuce you can eat. People eat lettuce all the fucking time. The vegetable. I know. <laughs> but it's also an herb. And you can even use it as an offering. Yeah, but the other one that you said, though, about lettuce. Yeah. You eat it. No, 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 no. About the men thing. Yeah, male sex magic. Yeah. That one, I I want to call bullshit so much on <laughs> so bad. How in the fuck does that fit into the category? I don't know. I'm not a male, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, but if you're going to use it in magic as a witch, yeah. how the fuck does that work? Don't know. You would have to ask a male that does magic. No, I, I said witch. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Males are witch, can be witches too. No, 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 no. If lettuce is used for a male sex thing, how the fuck does that work? I don't know. It's believed... It helps with sex magic for males. Some people believe that it does. That's just that's just the category of what the fuck. <sighs> Licorice, love, lust, and fidelity. Carry to attract the lover. I'm not saying it. I already did. More than once. Bullshit. Also called licorice root. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm butchering this. Yash Tamadu. Mith Illacadi. Molithi. Licorice. Sweet root. The Chris, the Crease, Lycrys, or Rigliss. Lilac, which is a flower. I'm allergic to it. For wisdom, memory, good luck, and spiritual aid. Also called common lilac. Now, lilac. Outside of it being a flower, it is in shampoos, conditioners, soaps, bath oils, lotion, candles, and I believe there are also incense sticks. Yes, they are. And we stay away from them. Lily, which is another flower, for fertility, 
renewal, rebirth, marriage, happiness, and prosperity. Also called Easter lily or tiger lily. That's all true. Lily of the valley. That's a prostitute. Soothing, calming, draws peace and tranquility, repels negativity, assists in empowering happiness and mental powers, used in magical workings to stop harassment. I don't know how that works. Married couples should plant lily of the valley in their first garden to promote longevity of the marriage. It's a uh, superstition. Note, use with caution. And why is that? Poison? Very good. Also called Jacob's Ladder, male lily, our lady's tears, ladder to heaven, may lily, or constancy. Lime, purification and protection, promoting calmness and tranquility, and strengthening love. That's a 50-50. Now, limes you can use you can use in salads. You can eat it. You can use the freaking rind. Make it for have it with drinks. It's a Corona special. Linden flowers. Used in love spells and mixtures. In promotion spe protection spells and incenses. Mix equal parts linden and lavender flowers and place in a satchel under your pillowcase to relieve insomnia. Keep linden on a table to release the, the energies needed to keep the spirit alive and healthy. Also called lime blossoms, linden flowers, or tilia. Little John. Place in holy water to bring good luck at everything you attempt. Low John. Money, success, and luck. Lobelia. Used for attracting love and, and preventing storms. Also called puke weed <laughs> Indian tobacco bladder pod wild tobacco emetic herb amentic weed asthma weed rag root or vomit wart <laughs> lotus or lotus love Protection, psychic opening, spiritual growth, sacred to Egyptian gods, 
Indian gods, Hermes, god for homosexual loves. Hermaphrodite. Ocean and Osiris. Lotus is a flower. Lotus is in, can be in lotion and some bath oils, I believe. I think also shampoo. I haven't seen it. Lotus root. Carry to keep thoughts pleasant and clear. Mark one side yes and the other no. Then toss the root into the air as you make a wish to find out if the wish will come true. Guess if that works. I don't know. Depends on the wish. Mm-hmm. Lovage, prophetic dreams, energy, and purification. Use in bath spells for psychic cleansing. Use in satchels, amulets, or bath magic to enhance attractiveness and make yourself more love-inspiring. Add an infusion of lovage to the bath immediately prior to attending court to help bring victory. I want to say that's a superstition. Mm. Lucky hand root. Magical uses include bringing good luck, protecting owner from all harm, travel safety, and gaining employment. Great for use in mojo and charm bags. Carry for general success and to obtain and maintain employment. Also called orchid root. Lung wart. For air magic, offering to the gods of air. Blessing while traveling by air. In other words, when you fly. Mace. Not the mace that goes in people's eyes. And not the singer. Promotes concentration, focus, and self-discipline. Great for study and meditation. Used in reuniting rituals. Also called Macus or Maskadir. Magnolia flowers. Magical uses include health, beauty, love, loyalty, peace, calming anxieties, marital harmony, and overcoming addictions and obsessive behavior. Magnolia bark. Magical uses include fertility, 
include fi fidelity, love, and hair growth. Also called cucumber tree, blue magnolia, swamp sassafras, or magnolia tripitata. Maiden hair fern brings beauty and love into your life. That's what it says. Mandrake. Magical uses include protection, prosperity, fertility, and exercising evil. Carry to attract love, where to preserve health. Also called mandra mandragoria, mandragora, Satan's apple, man root, circurium, gallows, herb of circe, mandragor, raccoon berry, lady kids, lady kins, woman drake. Sorcerer's Root, or Wild Lemon. Maple, Love, Money, Wealth, Longevity, and Good Luck. Maple Syrup, Longevity, Money, and Love. Maple Syrup, people eat. On waffles and pancakes. Marigold, which is a flower, attracts respect and admiration, provides good luck in court and other legal matters. Bullshit. Great for bath spells. Add an infusion of marigold to the bath for five days to find Mr. Right. <laughs> Add to satchels, amulets, and incense to attract new love or add life to your current relationship. Place above the bed or in dream pillows for prophetic dreams. Scatter under the bed for protection while sleeping. Also called Bride of the Sun, Ruddas, or Marigold. Marjoram. Cleansing, purification, dispelling negativity. Place under pillow to bring revealing dreams. Place in the corners of the home for protection. Use in love spells or place in food to strengthen love. Carry for protection or place in money, money mixtures and satchels to draw wealth. <coughs> Put a pinch in the corner of each room in the house each month to attract the husband. Use an infusion in the bath for seven days to aid in revealing sadness or grief. Also called Joy of the Mountain or Mountain Mint. Marshmallow root. Protection and psychic powers. 
Burn as an incense for protection and psychic stimulation. Place on the altar during ritual to draw in good spirits. You can only use it as an incense. You can burn it. Also called Althea, sweet weed, mullards, guimav, guimav, mortification plant, sloss tea, or waimaut. Mayflowers attract adventure and chaos to your life. In other words, you may not want to use that one. Meadow sweet. Used to increase the chances of getting a job. That's a uh, superstition. Aids one during times of distress. It could. Useful as an altar offering. Yes, it is. Especially during love magic. Useful as an offering. Yes, during but especially for love magic, and uh, don't think so. Burn or strew around the house to relieve disharmony in the home or remove tensions. It could. Carry to gain popularity and friendship. Also called gravel root, bride of the meadow, Bridewort, Little Queen, Gravel Weed, Joe Pie Weed, Purple Bone Set, Kidney Root, Trumpet Weed, Trumpet Vine, or Meadow Sweet. Mesquite, Healing, Use in Healing Incenses and Mixtures. Used to fuel ritual fires or burn as an incense for cleansing and purification. Use an infusion of mesquite in the bath for purification. I have not used that in any of my baths. So I do not know if that works. It's good for barbecuing too. Milk thistle. Magical uses include strength, preservance, wisdom, aid in decision-making. Mimosa, that's a drink. Protection, purification, love, dream magic. Use in sleep pillows to, to draw prophetic dreams. Use in bath magic to break hexes and prevent future problems. Scatter around an area for purification. Mosa, even though it's a drink, I believe it is an oil you can burn on a candle of your choice. And it's also a bath oil. That's something you have to get online if you can find it. Mint, which is a garnish, promotes 
energy, communication, vitality. Draws customers to a business, superstition. Use dried leaves to stuff a green poppet for healing. Place in wallet or purse or rub on money to bring wealth and prosperity. Use on the altar to draw good spirits to assist in your magic. That's basically an offering. Place in the home for protection. Also called garden mint. Mistletoe. Used for fertility, creativity, protection of illness, or misfortune, and protection from negative spells and magic. Hang in the home for protection from lightning and fire, superstition. Wear in an amulet to repel negativity and ill will and protect against unwanted advances. Carry for luck in hunting. Used to draw in customers, money, and business. Used in ritual baths or prayer bowls for healing. Note, used with caution. Now, why is that? It's deadly. It's poisonous, yes. It's deadly. Also called bird lime. Devil's Fudge, Golden Bath, Holy Wood, Mistletoe, Druid's Bow, Witch's Broom, Thunder of Bissam, or Wood of the Cross, Mox Wood. Magical uses include invisibility and protection from evil. Use only the flowers and magic, as the roots give off fumes from dying, when drying. Excellent for redirecting predators who come after you. That does actually work. I got rid of shithead once doing that. Note, use with caution and do not consume. Why is that? Poisonous and deadly. Very good. Oh. Also called aconite. Garden wolf's bane. Helmet flower. Friar's cap. Soldier's cap. Or wolf bane. Morning glory. Used for binding, banishing, and promoting attraction to someone or something. Wrap the vine around a poppet nine times to banish someone. That actually does not work. Remember the law of three, use of negative magic is not recommended. 
Note, use with caution. Deadly. Poisonous. Poisonous. Mm -hmm. Explosion. Also called devil's guts. Ew. Motherwort. <laughs> Magical uses include bolstering ego. No. Building confidence. Nope. Success and counter magic. Nope. Keep in a jar by family pictures to keep the family safe. That could that does work. I've used it one, more than once. I don't have any anymore, but I've used it. Also called lion's tail, lion's ear, throw wart, or Roman motherwort. Mugwort. Carry to increase lust and fertility. Prevent backache and cure disease and madness. Mm, doesn't really work for backaches. Trust me. Thank you. Place around divination and scrying tools to increase their power. Or near the bed to enable astral travel. Use in sleep pillow or sleep or place in a satchel under your pillowcase to bring about prophetic dreams. Use an infusion of mugwort to clean crystal balls and magic mirrors. Also called artesmia, felon herb, St. John's plant, naughty man. Oiled man or sailor's tobacco. Mullion. Protection from nightmares and sorcery. Courage, cursing, and invoking spirits. Place behind pillow or use in dream pillow to guard against nightmares. Carry to instill courage and help attract love from the opposite sex. That's our cat playing around in the background. That just slammed it to the front door. <laughs> Burn to banish bad influences and bring an immediate halt to bad habits. Also called Flannel flower, shepherd's club, hare's beard, pig tapper, cow's longwort, Aaron's rod, velvet plant, verbascum flowers, woolen blanket herb, bullock's longwort, or hag's tappers. Musk. Encourages self-esteem and, di and desirability. Can assist in transmuting sexual love into spiritual attraction. That's a uh, myth. Stimulates the root chakra. Yes, musk does stimulate root chakra. I used to have a perfume. Musk is a perfume. Also a cologne for guys. It's also a candle that you can burn. And I believe it's an inset stick, too? Yes. Yes. 
mustard seed, courage, faith, and endurance, frequently used in voodoo charms, voodoo, voodoo charms, carry a few grains in a small bag to guard against injury, sprinkle red mustard seed around the house to ward off burglars, or just get a big dog. Use yellow mustard seed in an amulet to bring faith followed by success. This is one of the oldest known good luck amulets. Also called yellow mustard or white mustard. Myrrh. Spiritual opening. Meditation and healing. This herb has high psychic vibrations that will enhance any magical working. Burn as a potent incense to bring peace and for consecration. And blessing of talismans, charms, and magical tools. Increases the power of any incense of which it is a part. Usually burned with frankincense, which is yes. I've burned myrrh before, but not with incense because incense actually. I've burned myrrh incense. I've burned myrrh candles by themselves. Or I combine the myrrh incense and the myrrh candles together. I don't. I didn't usually burn them with frankincense because I'm actually allergic to frankincense. It's also called Mal Mal, Myra, Dithen, or Bowl. Myrtle. <clears throat> for love, fertility, youth, peace, and money. Carry myrtle, myrtle leaves to attract love. Burn as an incense to bring beauty. It's an incense stick. Wear myrtle while preparing love spells or mixes to increase their intent. That do doesn't work. Wear or carry to attract true friendship. That does actually work for some. Use in satchels to ensure a peaceful and loving atmosphere. Also called bayberry tree. Narcissus. Calms vibrations and promotes harmony tranquility and peace of mind also called asphodel daffy down lily flir de coco goose leek lent lily or porlian neroli Joy, happiness, confidence, and overcoming emotional blockages. Soothes, relaxes, and uplifts the spirit. 
instills confidence and courage when carried or worn. Nettle, or nettle, Magical uses include dispelling darkness and fear, strengthening the will, and aiding in the, in the ability to handle emergencies. Sprinkle in the home to drive off evil and negativity. Carry in a satchel or use as a poppet to, per, to turn back a spell on the one who cast it. Sprinkle on self to, to remove petty jealousies. Gossip, envy, and uncomfortable situations. Also called net leave leaves, common netly, or nettle, stinging nettle, or beggar's lice. Nutmeg, which is a spice that you can cook with, and also bake. Magical uses include attracting money, prosperity, or prosperity, bringing luck, protection, and breaking hexes, including luck, including money, magic, and satchels. Carry as a good luck charm and or to increase the intellect. Sprinkle nut, nutmeg powder on green candles for prosperity. Also called Mr. Kira. Question. Yes. You just said you could sprinkle nutmeg on a green candle. Yeah. Is that a, is the green candle supposed to be unscented or scented? It can be either or. It can be either or? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to ask that question. Um, you have any other stories you can do so I can take a break here? There we go. Even the headset's on. I've been uh, dealing with monkey. Yeah, I noticed. He's hyper for some reason. I need a refill. Uh, let's see. Well, you sent this one to me a while back. Get me up here. Research or researchers conduct viral autopsy of a mummified 17th century child. The child was found in an aromatic Australian family crib where the conditions allowed the natural mummification preserving soft issue or soft tissue sorry that contained critical information about his life and death the body was buried in an unmarked wooden coffin instead of the instead of the elaborate metal coffins reserved for though for the other members of the family buried there a team carried out a viral autopsy or virtual autopsy, sorry, and radiocarbon testing and examined family records that key material clues from the burial 
to try to understand who the child was and what his short life looked like. This is only one case, said um, Nordlich, Nordlich, N-E-R-L-I-C-H. Lead author of the paper published today in Foreigners in Medicine or Frontiers in Medicine. But as we know that the early infant death rates generally were very high at that time, other observations may have considerable impact in the overall life reconstruction of infants, even in higher social classes. I wonder how high the social classes can be. The virtual autopsy was carried out through CT scanning, in other words, CAT scan, N-E-R-I-L-C-H, and his team measured bone length and looked at tooth eruption, and the formation of long bones to determine that the child was approximately a year old when he died. Instead of tooth, how about teeth? Unless, the, unless this mummified child only had one tooth, then I can understand. The soft tissue showed that the child was a boy and overweight for his age. Oh, that's lovely. So his parents were able to feed him well, but the bones told a different story. Go figure. The child's ribs had become malformed in the pattern called a rhythmic rosary, which is usually seen in severe rickets or scurvy. Ah, so they're using a pirate uh, terminology. Okay. Scurvy. You scurvy dog. Although he received enough food to put on weight, he was still malnourished while the topical bowing or bowing of the bones seen in Ricklitz was absent, this may be may have been because he did not work or crawl. I thought you had to crawl first in order to work. <laughs> Since the viral autopsy revealed that he had inflammation of the lungs characteristic of what you normally get every freaking time. Pneumonia. Yep. And children with rickets are more vulnerable to pneumonia. This nutritional defect deficiency, I was about to say defect, deficiency may even have contributed to his early death. The combination of obesity along with a severe vitamin deficiency 
can only be explained by a general, generally good, of course that's in quotations, nutritional status along with an almost complete lack of sunlight exposure, said Dr. N. Put me back up. We have the we have to reconsider the living conditions of high. Oh, I said this word earlier. Now I can't say it. Arteritocrat. Sorry, words are hard. Infants of previous populations. However, although Doctor N and his team had established the probable cause of death, the question of the child's identity remained. Deformation of his skull suggested that his simple wooden coffin wasn't quite large enough for the child. However, specialist examination of his clothing showed that he had been buried in a long hooded coat made of expensive silk. Kid was royalty, I guess. Mm. He was also buried in a crypt exclusively reserved for the powerful counts of Star Himberg who buried their title holders, mostly firstborn sons, and their wives there as well. This meant that the child was most likely a firstborn son of a Count of Starhemberg. Radiocarbon dating of a skin sample suggested he was buried between A.D. of 1550 to 1635, while historical records of the crypt's management indicated that his burial probably took place after the crypt's uh, renovation around the 1600 A.D., he was the only infant buried in the crypt. Lonely. Mm. We have no data on the fate of other infants of the family, Dr. N said, regarding the unique burial, according to our data, the infant was most probably the Count's firstborn son after erection of the family's crib, so special care may have been applied. This meant that there was only one likely candidate for the little boy in the silk coat, um, Ricard, I can't, why, why Helm, Wilhelm, Wilhelm, who grieving family buried him alongside his grandfather and namesake Ricard von 
Starhenberg. Hmm. And that was the story you sent me a while back. Yeah. Which I did read over. And I was trying to remember how to pronounce certain names, but some of them I still fucked up. But oh well. But that was that story, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, let's see, we're here. U.S. Congress makes UFO or UFO evidence public. And this was a story I received back on October 20th, 22nd, sorry. The truth is out there. Hmm, kind of reminds me of the X-Files opening. Mm. The truth is out there. The UFO phenomenon is an insistent source of fascination. No shit. That's why there's a lot of UFO experts out there that are always fascinated with stuff like this. The latest occurrence, a series of images and videos of unexplained aerial phenomenons, or in other words, UAPs, that were shown in the United States Congress of all places. Last public UFO hearing took place in 1966. A series of fo fo photographs and moving images that until now were classified materials were presented in the United States Congress on May 17th of this year. Mm. At the first public hearing on UFO sightings held in the United States in more than 50 years. It was described as a historic testimony by the Washington Post. Images that have no logical explanation, which is true in a lot of ways. There are always more questions than there are answers to something that can't be explained logically. The Department Director of Naval Intelligence of the United States, Scott W. Bray, was the one who showed the U.S. Congress a series of images that could make even the most skeptical people out there to become non-skepticals <laughs> be full of doubts about the UFO phenomenon. Bray himself pointed out during this exposition in reference to one of the images, and he quotes this, I don't have an explanation about what this object is. And he's literally pointing to a big screen TV that has what he's can't explain. A triangular object that flashes and disappears. One of the images that Scott W. Bray showed and that was captured by a night vision camera 
of the U.S. Naval Air Systems Command was that of a triangular object that flies over the sky of the United States and stops for a moment. The object, as explained by Bray, did not appear to have any propulsion system and eventually flashed and then disappeared. That's because it thinks, oh shit, they saw us, got to disappear. Goddamn commercial. Ah, another object intersects with a military plane. In a second example, Scott W. Bray showed images that were captured by a military aircraft as it was operating in a training field. The pilots identified a spiritual object that crossed the plane quickly, passing by the cabin, according to the deputy director of naval intelligence. This was a video that was out all over the goddamn news and the uh -huh. internet and social media where everybody was fucking flipping out. And I actually saw the damn thing. And it was shot live. And I was like, holy shit. That is a hell of a catch. And they followed this damn thing all the way around. They saw another one that landed in the water. The one that landed in the water disappeared somehow. I can't explain that. Neither could these sailors. I was like, holy shit. Extraterrestrial origin. Scott W. Bray stressed, and he literally stressed it out, that U.S. intelligent teams have yet to discover anything of non-terrestrial origin, which he put in quotations, in any of these incidents as no organic or inorganic materials or unexplained debris has ever been recovered and no attempts have been made to communicate with the objects, nor have they received any communication attempts from them. I honestly say that what they caught over the water and that landed in the water, they should have sent the team out there and just investigated that whole fucking area. Mm -hmm. That's what I would have done. Okay, we see this one going in the water. Let's get a bunch of team out there and check it and don't come back without evidence it's international security u.s congressmen were concerned about these incidents being threats from another countries or other countries though the use of unknown technologies however the possible extraterrestrial origin of these events was in the mouths of the entire audience. I can understand where this congressman is coming from on a national level for threat maybe, but blaming other countries is eh, good luck trying to prevent that. 
or prove that. I mean, if something like this would happen, hey, go check Area 51. See if they're screwing around with everybody. That's where I would start next. The mystery continues. The Under Secretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, Ronald M. Unfortunately, we can see the picture. You can't. Admitted in statements collected by the BBC News Network that they have not been able to give a reasonable explanation for some of these incidents registered in their database. A small number of unexplainable cases have popped up since this was released. The incident are a majority thought, according to Mr. M. He said that most reported UFO sightings can be explained, and in quotations here, any objects we find can probably be isolated, characterized, identified, and, if necessary, megagreat. Or migrated, he said. Yeah, I don't know about most of that. Kind of got more questions than the answers for that one. Flight characteristics that defy aerodynamic laws. Now, I don't know anything about aerodynamic laws for something like that. That's a whole new different ballpark for me. But aerodynamics itself for laws are usually pretend to cars or yeah. trucks or RVs, helicopters, stuff like that. They always have to be aerodynamic, especially with classic muscle cars. If you're rebuilding them from scratch, you have to make sure that every single piece is aerodynamics by that law. That's the only type of aerodynamic laws I understand. There's a small handful of events where there are flight characteristics that we can't explain with the data we have available. Those are obviously the ones we're most interested in, Bray said. I would agree on that one. Non-existent means of propulsion. The United States military assures that the objects that have starred in these UAPs unexplained aerial phenomena, all of them registered in this database seem to have no means of propulsion, something that is technically impossible to decipher. Well, until you catch one of these and try to decipher it, then maybe it could be explained. UFO-related incidents, according to information published by the BBC News Network, out of 400 UFO-related incidents reported in the United States, 11 almost ended in accidents with American planes, 
Similar events have also occurred in Canada. Area 51, the myth. Do we remember about that? Yeah. Roswell. Yeah. Down in Mexico. The belief that Area 51 is a military base covered for alien research has been meniscal. I can't remember. Say this fucking word. Mythologicalized, there we go, by pop culture over the years. I think they need to change the word years to like centuries. <laughs> it is said that somewhere amid the Nevada desert, there's a guarded underground lab where the U.S. government keeps and studies captured UFOs and possibly aliens themselves. There has been so much questions than answers, but yet there's also a lot of conspiracy theorists out there mm -hmm. that think they've broken the case of Area 51 about this. I'm not a conspiracy, conspiracy theorist whatsoever. Mm. I don't believe in that because it's all usually fake facts, fake information, not even checked correctly. But when it comes to Roswell's research and history of it, yeah, he doesn't put in any conspiracy theories into it. No. He only has theories that he's trying to debunk but also in theories he's trying to see if it's scientific logical information that's being gathered and due to the fact I was talking about the Roswell incident here it is in 1947 Roswell Army Airfield issued a press releasing stating that they had recovered a flying disc. Not a UFO, not a UAP, but a flying disc. There's three different categories in that. But they quickly retracted the statement saying that the crashed object was a conventional weather balloon. Of course. Of course they would redact that and say something stupid. Because they don't want the American people or the world to know exactly what crashed. Conspiracy theories. UFO... Um, uh, yeah. UFO people then began promoting conspiracy theories. Now, these are the opposite sides of the true UFO um, people that believe in them that, like I said, do not use conspiracy theories whatsoever. Roswell doesn't use this. 
These are the idiots that think they have a brain, but they don't have nothing upstairs in their head. Claiming that one or more alien spacecrafts had crashed and that aliens had been recovered by the military who engaged in a cover-up contributing to the Area 51 myth. Roswell did not. Bob Lazar's statements. In 1989, I was 12 years old back then, a man named Bob Lazar claimed to have worked at Area 51 and, according to his testimony, saw pictures of aliens there. He assured that the United States government used the facilities to examine UFOs. However, he never presented conclusive evidence about these claims. I wonder why. Breaking the myth. Seth S., an astronomer at the SETI Institute, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, maintains, according to the BBC network, said that the evidence for the existing or existence of UFOs or extraterrestrial presence at Area 51 is poor and um, A-N-E-C-D-O-T-I-C-A-L. Eyewitnesses are the worst kind of evidence, he said in a SETI video. To kind of agree with him on that. Yeah. But it's the real people that he, that he can't say anything about that situation. The Shag Harbor incident. I've never heard of this before, but I'd like to know more if somebody knows anything about the Shag Harbor incident. Email email me at epps2021 at gmx.com. Put in the subject shag harbor story in 1967 there was a report there was a reported impact of an unknown large object that crashed on canada's atlantic coast before the eyes of some fishermen it was the so-called shag harbor incident which even motivated the Royal Canadian Mint to issue a commemorative stamp or commemorative stamp, however you, however Canadians say that damn word. A warm welcome for aliens. The fever for ufology in Canada has even led to the construction of a UFO landing strip in St. Paul, a small town in Alberta. It is an 
elevated platform for 30 tons built in 1967, which was the idea of the former mayor of the city, Jules Van Barnard, but Brabant. If I said his name wrong, I'm sorry. Words are hard. And which was inaugurated by Paul Hillier, former minister of the National Defense. Declassified cases of unexplained aerial phenomena, UAPs, conspiracy theories, and... A N E C D O L or T I C A L constructions intended to welcome extraterrestrial civilization aside. The latest news about UAPs makes ex extraterrestrial contact a feasible possibility. Will we ever come across aliens? A. Loeb, the man who was chaired or who has chaired the defense of astronomy at Harvard for the longest time, assured an interview with the Independent that it, that he is convinced that human um, humanity will find aliens and that he will be able to witness it. I don't know if he's still alive or he has passed on, so I don't think his wish would come true. In his 2021 book, Extraterrestrial, the first sign of intellectual life beyond Earth, Mr. Loeb ventures that a space rock the size of a football field that was only visible from Earth for 11 days could be some kind of technology built by aliens and not a comet or an asteroid. Mr. Loeb said to the Independent, extreme dimensions, disconcerting brightness, ship-like motions, and spectacular acceleration of 87 kilometers per second as it lift or as it left the solar system convinced him that it was the first sighting humanity had of intelligent extraterrestrial life by locating an object that is presumably alien technology. Before 2022 public hearing, the last time these issues were discussed in the United States Congress was in 1966. In two sessions, convinced 
or, or yeah, convinced by Gerald Ford, who years later would become president at that time. He talked about a UFO sighting that took place in Michigan and had numerous witnesses. How's this fall into the story? But Project Blue Book. The investigation of that incident was called Project Blue Book by the U.S. Air Force. At first, what happened was explained by attributing it to swamp gas. And finally, the investigation was closed by concluding that it was not possible to confirm what object had been seen and that in any case, it did not pose a threat to the security of the country. How would you mark something swamp gas? I don't know. Under the Kelly Blue Book project, that doesn't make any sense. In 2017, several U.S. media such as the New York Times, CNN, and the Washington Post reported that the Pentagon was trying to investigate UFO sightings by Army pilots who claimed to see them almost on a daily basis and that they had even interfered with nuclear weapons facility okay if you have army planes flying through the fucking airspace and there was nu- nuclear weapons facilities in the area where they were flying wouldn't you know notify them first before taking the fuck off and say you need to stay out of this zone area because there's nuclear weapons facilities Testing shit. Yeah. Common sense. Obviously, in 2017, for this, uh, obviously, some people in the Pentagon did not have fucking common sense. To this day, I don't think the Pentagon has common sense anymore. Oh, shit. Following a request from the United States Congress in 2020, The former non-educated dumbass administration promised to publish a report on the information it had on UFO sightings after several unexplained cases in the last two decades. Declassified incidents just a year later In 2021, the U.S. Director of National Intelligence released a report saying he had no explanation for dozens of UFO incidents and figure well below the 400 that have been declassified this year. Are UFOs displayed 
of extraterrestrial technology or foreign powers during infiltration working or work for uh, radical minds, the extreme extraterrestrial explanation is hard to believe. But as the motto or motto of the famous posters that Agent Mulder or that Mulder in the series X Files hung in his FBI office said, I want to believe. And that uh, Agent Mulder was played by David David Duchovny of the X-Files. That's it for that story. Hmm. Hey, I could try to hammer out a few more here. Starting to feel a little bit drained. Yeah, I'm starting to get hungry. (laughs) But I guess in episode 67, I'll read this story, which is known, uh, which the title is, Ghost towns in Upper Michigan. I did not know there was more ghost towns in Michigan. But it's going to be a cool story. Okay, we go to Oak. The most sacred of all trees. Its wood is often used in the making of magical tools. Burn the leaves for purification. Use infertility amulets. Hang a sprig in the home to ward off negativity and strengthen family unity. Carry for wisdom and strength, for luck, to preserve youthfulness and or to increase attractiveness. Also called Dior or Jove's Nuts. I didn't know Joe had nuts. Oak moss. Magical uses include luck, money, protection, and strength. Oatmeal. To invoke or worship Bridget. Oaks, oat straw. Keep a small amount in wallet or purse to draw in money and prosperity. Olive, which people eat. Fidelity, fidelity, sorry. Marriage, peace, and money. Assures fidelity and love and is used to attract a marriage partner. Don't know about that. Inspires fruitfulness and its security and love family, and business. Olive leaf. Magical uses include peace, potency, fertility, healing, protection, and lust. Onion. People eat. Prosperity, stability, endurance, and protection. Burn olive, burn onion flowers to banish bad habits and negative influences. Cut onions in half and place in the corners of a room to absorb illness, then bury or burn the olive halves in the morning. That's 
more superstition, really. Sacred to the moon. Orange. People eat. Attracts abundance and happiness through love and marriage. Concentrate on a yes or no question while eating an orange, then count the seeds. An even number of seeds means the answer is no. An odd number of seeds means yes. Use the leaves and flowers in love rituals to bring a marriage proposal. Don't work. Add an infusion of orange to the bath to increase attractiveness and beauty. Orange ber bergamot. Money drying. Put leaves in wallet or purse to attract money. Rub fresh leaves on money before it is spent to ensure its return. Also called bergamot or orange mint. Orange blossoms. Attracts prosperity and stability. Brings harmony, peace, emotional openness, and love. Used in ritual baths for attractiveness. Orange peel. Magical uses include love, divination, luck, money, house, and business blessing. Add two love satchels to help someone make, their, make up their mind. Using satchels and amulets to bring luck to business no negotiations. Orchid, concentration, strengthening memory, focus, and willpower. Oregano, an herb, pe an herb people actually cook with. Not me. Joy, strength, fidelity, fidelity, and added energy. Oris root cut. Promotes popularity, persuasiveness, and personal success. Aids communication and helps to open dialogues. Used to draw or hold love and romance. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. Add to the bath for personal protection. Okay. Also called Florentine Iris or Queen Elizabeth Root. Oris Root Potter. Used to bring love, romance, companionship, and a loving mate. Called Love Drying Powder in Voodoo or Hoodoo. Add to satchels and sprinkle on sheets and around the house to draw or hold love. Place a pinch in the corners of the room to open a new love. Use in bath magic to attract the opposite sex. Also called love drawing powder, Florentine iris or queen of Elizabeth root, Osha root, protection against evil spirits. Where are we at? Okay. I'm here. Uh, 
I'm done for that. You done for that? Yep. More next time? Yeah. Okay, just remember where you left off. <laughs> well, that should do it for us here on EPPS 2021. Our new handle will be effective on Monday, the 14th. Yep. So for you guys to look for it, I actually been kind of popping up here and there. But I'll do it again. That will be the new handle when we do our live podcast show. So you'll be able to find it easily in your search bar above. All you have to do is just type what you see there, up there, and it'll bring you right to our page on YouTube and everything so hopefully, hopefully <laughs> night, you guys Gloria. will do it good night our moderator she was late but that's okay she's forgiven but i don't think we're doing one next week because perlor and i are going to a town festival as i call it and everything and hopefully it will be awesome yeah, i will be made to go out <laughs> I am going to try to record the entire thing on my handheld camera and then I will put it all together and then it will be up on our YouTube page and our Facebook page and any of our other social media apps that we have. Um, I'll make a special part on our website for it where you guys can see it. And this is our website address right there. You just type that up there and I'll bring you to our website and everything. And Thanksgiving, it will be next week. I don't think we're going to do one or in anything, but things can change. So plus I have that EGD thing I have to do. Mm -hmm. It's, People wondering what that is. It's um, another way for people to um, actually go down into the throat to see if there's anything that could be caused in the upper system, upper system of the um, body to see if anything could be causing the anemia. Yep. Don't yeah. want to do it, but I have to. Then a week and a half later, I have to do a freaking colonoscopy thing. Same thing. Mm-hmm. But different. Yep. Don't want to do that either, but I know if I don't, I won't get the end of it. <laughs> Literally. All right. Well. And my teeth. Like Ooh. four or five days later. Yes. That... That's going to be a bit of a test um, for Perilor. Um, I already told her that I already plan on doing like a recording, not a live one. Don't get that messed up. It's not going to be a live one. It's just going to be where we're going to think to ourselves that we are live and everything and do a full show recording to see how well it comes out. And then I'm going to download the video to the computer 
Then I'm going to play it, and we're both going to sit here. We're going to watch from beginning to end to see how it works. If it's understandable, then we will do a live show. If it's not, we probably won't do it with Paralore. It'll probably just be me and everything. Um, if not, my second channel, uh, which I'm working on, um, I'll let you guys, you know, see that video, pre-recorded video. And on that channel, I want you guys to let me know if you like it. I will be posting it up on Facebook. I will also be um, try to do a small little intro video for it if I have to do one by myself. I will throw up a little video clip of it. It'll be like an intro like you saw at the beginning of the show um, and everything. And I will also try to have a link to it in our YouTube channel here on this show so you guys can jump over to that one and see videos that I do behind the scenes on a day-to-day -day basis or daily basis, however you want to put it, and stuff like that. So that's probably the time that Paralore will be taking time off, relaxing, trying to heal her gums until we find out when her new teeth are going to be ready to be implanted and things like that. We'll do it again the same exact way when she doesn't have teeth. When she has her new teeth in, do the same way and see how well it goes. Also on the other channel, I'll pop that video as well. You guys down in the comments, let me know if you think it's good. And then we'll do it live on this show here. But for that, that'll do it for us. Enjoy your Thanksgiving and everything and the crappy weather that we're having. That'll do it for me, Paramike, and that lovely gothic over there. I'm Paralore. We say good night and happy Thanksgiving. Bye.